Blog Talk Radio. Yakuza. Yakuza. Yakuza Kick Radio. 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 The Yakuza Kick Radio. This is the bulldozer, Matt Tremont. And if there's one place to listen to on the internet every Thursday, 9 p.m., Yakuza Kick Radio. Tremont says so. Who wants some? God help us, Jesus! God and baby, Jesus! Help us. Ladies and gentlemen of fucking America, this is Danny Havoc, and you have been listening to, or possibly are intending to listen to, the Yakuza Kick fucking radio. Fucking, yeah, Yakuza Kick radio. Hell fucking yeah! My name is Justice Payne, and you are listening to Yakuza Kick radio. You're coming to come on this is a brotherhood, and we all stick together. Like my nuts. I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. Yakuza Kick Radio, the best in internet wrestling radio, period, bar none, just like Adam Cole. Everybody's a cunt but me in the world. I don't know what it is. But you go to the back, and you tell your boss that there's a new Yakuza in town. And it's Yakuza Kick Radio, and we're taking over. Yakuza Kick Radio has risen from the ashes of bad internet radio and become the premier place for any independent professional wrestler to stop and record their voice. Well, this is Mr. Insanity Toby Klein, and if you're not listening to Yakuza Kick Radio, then you're weird. Oh, I don't like the cut of your jib, fella. This is Greg Excellent, bearded dragon of the Northeast. You're listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. If you're not, you're probably watching porn. You have this muted. You should be listening to it. Jason Man. Where are Biggie and Tupac? Yakuza Kick Radio. Give a nigga rope on that cowboy, guys. All you have to do is listen to Yakuza Kick Radio, but you didn't. Now look at that guy. You only fuck that. Black dude. Bullshit, man. Motherfucker. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. Who's next? And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the introduction. Hosted by J. Cat Morris. You are now listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. Wednesday, March 18, 2015. Welcome to Yakuza Kick Radio. I'm your host, J-Cap Morris. Man, I got a show for you tonight. Um, calling in momentarily will be none other than CZW Hall of Famer, a longtime trainer at the CZW Dojo. Is uh, I think before it was a dojo, it was uh, trained by none other than John Dahmer. Uh, the guy was a big locker room leader over the years, and he was there from day one, literally day one in the combat zone. So um very excited to talk to him and, uh, you know, get his uh, opinion and thoughts on about, you know, a lot of things over the history of CZW because he was there for, you know, all those, in my opinion, completely prime years, uh, the best years of CZW. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to him. Um, I got to try to keep my attention towards the show because I had just earlier uh earlier tonight got myself a new T V that uh I actually didn't plan on doing it until Sunday but then uh I just I can't resist type of things like that. Once I get my mindset that I'm gonna do something, uh I just you know, I end up with it. 
But um, it's uh, a 4K Ultra HD TV, which, you know, I'm not uh, on top of technology that way. So it's not like something I had my finger on the pulse of or whatever. But I had looked at TVs the other day. I needed a new TV for a little bit now. And uh, I looked at the TVs the other day. I wanted something around 50 inches and, uh, you know, around the price range I was looking. This was just a little above the price range I wanted, but it looked leaps and bounds better than everything else there. So um, so I went with this one, 50-inch, uh, like I said, uh, uh, 4K Ultra HD TV. So shit looks absolutely insane. So, um, you know kind of, you know, staring at this thing in awe. And uh, I was watching just random wildlife shit before because uh, how crisp it comes in. It looks like the jungle was in the right side of my room. So, and um, all about that. But, yeah, a um, lot of different things to talk about. Um, definitely going to review the CZW Deja Vu event later on in the show. I'm also um, going to cover the uh, the Jersey All-Pro show that's coming up. But uh, I do believe I have on the line right now the one and only John Dahmer. John. You there, John? John. Hey there, John. All right. I guess that wasn't John. Paul well, dropped off. But anyway, um, like I said, I will be um, reviewing the uh, Deja Vu show later in the show and previewing the Jersey All Pro show that's coming up on Saturday. Um, as I had mentioned in the past, I'm actually going to be doing ringside photography for the show coming up on Saturday, the uh, Jersey All Pro show. So I'm, I'm extremely excited for that. Uh, let me try this again. Hey, John. Yeah, speaking. How you doing, man? Not too bad, Jay. How you doing today? Pretty good, yeah. So um, wanted to have you on for a while. You're a guy who was with CZW from the very start, and uh, got a lot to ask you. So um, just get right into it. Uh, how did you uh, actually get into wanting to be a wrestler, and where did you go to train and stuff? Uh, actually, I always wanted to do it since I was a little kid. Growing up out in the Midwest, you know, I used to watch wrestling on TV. Well, I grew up in a real decent area as far as TV coverage goes. I was in, uh, started just outside Detroit, ended up in Toledo, Ohio. And we had Buckeye Cable and the old, you know, rabbit ears, the big antenna you could turn on the side of your house. So we had uh, stuff from Louisville. We got Stampede. We had big time wrestling in Michigan. Bruiser Bedlam right in Toledo. You know, the NWA syndicated shows, the WWF syndicated shows. So, you know, there was a lot of it to watch. And I was started watching it when I was a little kid because my aunt and uncle. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I got into it. Uh, always wanted to do it and, you know, didn't know how to go about it. You know, you read right. magazines and, like, you know, this guy started here, this guy started there. Uh, when I moved to Jersey, I actually looked in the phone book and I was looking for a gym. And I saw the Monster Factory. Yeah, it was listed under, I think it was listed under like karate schools or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, it's a pro wrestling training center, you know? So I think, I want to say I was in like seventh grade maybe. 
So I uh, called over there, and there was a recording, and they had a free tryout thing. And, you know, it was a little kid that scared me away. So probably right. when I was about a freshman in high school, I think I looked it up again, and it had moved. It was, I forget where it was the first time. The second time it was in Paulsboro. And I actually went over there and did the tryout. Uh, my best friend's dad took me and him. And I want to say uh, Glenn Ruth and maybe a guy named Ron Oaks. Oaks or Oates, I can't remember. He was the Hornet in USWA. Um, they were the mm-hmm. trainers there at the time, and they did the tryout. You know, you know you're a young kid, but you're big because, you know, I was a big kid. And so right. you showed up with Larry, and they can set something up. So, you know, my mom had showed up because, uh, you know, the, your parent had to be there to, to sign off on it. So we went with my friend's dad. But then I had to call my mom, and she had to come all the way down and, you know, sign the, the paper so I could get him to do the trial to begin with. So, you know, they bring us in the office, and he talks about price and all that. And uh, I forget what the amount was. I think it was like $5,000, and it just seemed astronomical. And then he told me, yeah. you know, you had to be at least 17. So probably from that moment on, you know, my goal was to start saving so I could become a pro wrestler. And then uh, just after I graduated, this I graduated high school in 95, I believe it was, uh, you know, I was going to go to the Monster Factory. That was always my plan. And then Mm -hmm. I met this other guy that knew of Iron Mike Sharp. Uh, Do you know who Iron Mike Sharp is? Yeah. Yeah, he was the old uh, WWE journeyman and, you know, big forearm brace and all that. And he yeah. told me... Yeah, I'd heard like, a couple of people had been trained by him. Yeah, well, he, he had a really good school. Uh, he was linked up with a guy, Tom Rumsby, I believe it was. And oh, okay. I know Tom. <laughs> went up, yeah, I, I went up there and did a trial. I think it was at his brick school. And we talked to Mike. Yeah, was, I don't remember Tom being there. And he's, you know, he gave you the, the whole spiel, the price, you know. And I was like, okay, I'll think about it. You know, I mean, obviously, I wanted to do it, but really, I think about it, man. All right, I have to get all my money together. Mm-hmm. So I left there, and uh, I say within like a few months, I had saved up the money for the down payment. And then when I got back in touch with my buddy that had uh, told me about the school, he'd said they'd split and moved. I was like, oh man, you know, this is terrible. He's like, yeah. You know, Mike, because I, I didn't know who Tom was, but I knew who Mike was. So, like, that kind of made right. me feel comfortable. Like, I, you know, a guy that, that I know, you know, was like a wrestler. It was like, you know, not that there was anything wrong with Tom. I just didn't, me personally, I just didn't know much about him. You know? Right. But, uh, yeah, so I ended up finding out that Mike had moved to Asbury Park, like, right off the boardwalk. And I went there, and, you know, he said he remembered me. Who knows if he really did <laughs> Right. But, uh, yeah, he signed me up, and I started training there. And then shortly in February of 96, I guess it was, I was doing shows. And, uh, yeah, the rest of it kind of took off from there. Wow. So, you know, getting into training and stuff, um, you know, what was the regiment like? And, you know, was it what you expected or, you know, more? Oh, it was completely different from what I expected. You know, um <laughs> You see it on TV, and, you, and especially as a kid, like once, you know, 
you know, your family tells you, oh, it's not real, blah, 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 this and that. You know, they're they're, they're just faking it. And then you get in there and you hit the mat and you're like, oh, my God, I want to die. What's going on? <laughs> you know, and then Mike's, you know, stretching you and showing you holds. And, I mean, he, you know, Mike, Mike is a big guy. And I, I want to say he was like 6'5", probably about 300 pounds. And, you know, he could lay, he'd lay into you at the forearm and he'd go, oh, you know, kid, uh, you know, you, you hit the guy in a safe place as hard as you can. It's not going to kill him. But you want to make it look good, so he'd like to the forearm and he'd take your breath away, and you're like, <gasps> you know, and then he'd start laughing, you know, or, or right. you know, he'd he'd be grinding it down on the mat, and he he would do this thing where he would get you in a hole, and then ask you how you thought you should get out of it, you know, and then he'd he'd like throw an idea out there, and he'd go, oh well, yeah, okay, try that, and you try it, and the hole would get tighter, <laughs> and then uh, you know, you'd do that about two or three times, and you were pretty locked up. And then he would go, do you want to know how to get out of it? And you'd say, yes, Mike. I, <laughs> you know, I was <laughs> at this point to know how to get out of it. And then he would tell you, and then, you know, he'd have you do it. But it was, mm-hmm. it was a lot of uh, a lot of learning like that, you know. Like, it, you always felt like he was testing you no matter what. Right. But it was it was a good experience, you know. Uh, guys like... Uh, Nova had just come to that school. Mike Moraldo had been up there. Uh, I met Donnie B up there. Um, and Rocco Dorsey would come down. Uh, Biggie Biggs, he came through there. Uh, man, I mean, so many guys. Even Bam Bam Bigelow lived up in that area, and there was a guy, uh, this guy Jerry, he worked on the on the independent scene as the Hellraiser, and then he went to WCW and became the wall. He came up from out of there, and him and, uh, oh, yeah. him and Bigelow were really good friends, so they would come up and work out together. I, I'm not sure 100% what the story was with them. I know they were, like, really good friends. But, like, it was like they owned a boat together or something, because they were always talking about this, this freaking boat. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. we go we own this boat. But, yeah, they would come up. So, I mean, you know, you got a lot of good experience. You had a lot of names that came up. There was a guy, Budlicious, that I think he was originally a Monster Factory guy. But uh, he would come up there, you know, so you just got to, to work and know a lot of, like, really experienced guys. Um, when did you start working shows, and where were you, where were you working the shows? Oh, I, I want to say my first show was, I believe, in either East Marlboro or Marlboro, New Jersey. And it was a battle royal, you know. And to me, it seemed like the biggest thing in the world. Like, I am making my wrestling debut. And I drove probably like two and a half hours from my house or three hours from my house because, you know, I was living down in South Jersey at the time. I drive all the way up to Marlboro, and I'm so excited for this battle royal. And I'm thinking, you know, the whole way up stuff I'm going to do. And, yeah, it was pretty much, you know, New York in the battle royal gets chops, gets uh, beat around a little bit, and then tossed out. And I think right. I might have been in there for like maybe like five to eight minutes, something like that. And I, I remember one guy, uh, I can't remember his name. I just remember a guy like going, all right, you're out, kid. And like I felt like I hadn't been in there long enough, so like I didn't go. You know, he went to the top, and I kind of, kind of hugged the ropes and came back in. Yeah, I got a pretty wicked chop for that. And I don't think there was anybody of note in that battle royal. You know, I think right. there was a lot of new guys and a lot of uh, 
you know, a lot of guys from that area that were that were vengeful. I think um, there was a guy, Doctor Hertz. I think he might have been in it. I think he might have even won it. You know, but I mean, decent guys. Like that's you know, they were they were all all good guys. A lot of young guys. Um, I don't know if the Jersey Hurricane was in it or not. I don't know if you know him. He was a guy around yeah, that. Some of the names are ringing a bell because I uh, I used to go to a couple Donnie B shows. So I think Dr. Hertz was a guy who came out to Bon Jovi's Bad Medicine uh, with the whole doctor gimmick. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I guy. Pardon me. Uh, I, think his, uh, I think his deal was he owned a ring. Oh, okay. So, like, a lot of the shows that ran in that area used his ring. Because I do remember that guy being on a lot of shows up there, but never down anywhere else. Right. Yeah, but he was decent. I mean, he had a gimmick. You know, he had gear. He had boots. That was another thing, man. Like, like back then, you know, I had to have boots before I went and did a show. Like, I remember I tried to get booked on a show one time. And the guy flat out asked me, he's like, you got gear, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I got gear. Who doesn't have gear? Like, what am I? Yeah, you know, Mark. Like, he's like boots and everything. I'm like, yeah, you know, I got some boots. He's like, you got wrestling boots. I'm like, well, I got like these Doc Martens that I <laughs> had a guy shave the sole down flat for me. He's like, yeah, come, come do my show when you have boots. I was like, oh, no, that's terrible. <laughs> so I yeah. had to end up paying 300 some odd dollars for boots. And, th- and, you know, this is back, like, before the Internet and stuff was big. So, like, the way we got boots, you know, uh, Mike had a bunch of catalogs. I think one was, like, mm-hmm. Bar A. And uh, you had Bizarre Bizarre, which was Adrian Street down in Florida. And that's actually the first place I ended up going to get boots. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I paid, God, they were, like, $295. But I had really cool boots. I, you know, Total, I, I loved the, uh, Anderson and Blanchard when I was a kid. So I uh-huh. had the Kelly Blanchard two-star wingtip boots. Yeah, uh, Natural leather, not the patent, and they tore. <laughs> I, I laced them with parachute cord, and I used them once. And the second time I went to use them, it was apparently extra to get metal eyelets in those boots back then. And for whatever reason, uh-huh. I guess I paid the $300, but the, that another... 20 seemed astronomical to me as a kid. So I cheaped out and I paid for it because the boots tore. And then I had to go and get another pair. Oh, wow. I think I sold the other ones to another trainee that ended up just quitting. Because I took them to a shoe repair shop and they told me how mm-hmm. much it would be to fix them. And, yeah, it wasn't... <laughs> it just didn't seem right to, to pay that much to fix boots that I knew would you know, kind of turn on me again. So I just got a new black, all-black pair. And I sold them to some other kid at the school. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, you were there, you know, at CZW since day one. So, obviously, you know, it became a connection between you and them before there was a CZW. So, how did things come about for you to, you know, connect with those guys? Uh, as far as CZW goes, I met Zandig when he was the icon. Uh-huh. And uh, we used to, he, Dated and I, then I believe eventually married a girl I worked with at an acne, oh. and okay. I had met him through her. And a buddy of mine had a uh, a store in the Route 30 flea market where Larry Sharp used to run. Mm-hmm. So 
he was on those shows, and yeah, I was hanging out at the store, and you know, I'd watch the shows too. And I think John, I think John was like six months before me, as far as like being the design. I think I, I got in in February of '96, and I think he came in probably in nine. Maybe he was a whole year ahead of me because I I remember going to a Coraluzo show when I was still in high school, a senior, and I remember him being on it. Um. So yeah, I, I met him there uh, through her, and you know, like we just kind of hooked up and like started talking. And we would, you know, because like like I said back then, there was like no internet, no Facebook. So right. we met guys, and I didn't know a lot of guys that lived down this way. And he lived, uh, I think, in West Effort at the time. Mm-hmm. So we got to talking, and we would travel to shows together. You know, if I got a booking, I would say, "Hey, I know this guy, the Icon." And, you know, vice versa, he would get a booking and need an opponent, and he'd have me come work him. So that's how I got this bit. And then, you know, we would run into each other at NWA shows, too. So then I guess um, at some point he decided to, you know, start up his own deal, and uh, you were a part of the the plan, or or what happened? Um, Yeah, I guess it was, when did we start CCW? That was October... Uh, September or October of 98. No, October. Late, late September of 98 was when we had the first actual CZW shows that were just school shows. Mm-hmm. So maybe six months before that, I remember being in the summer because it was hot. And he called me out of the blue on a Thursday night. And he's like, yo, what's going on? I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? Yeah, like, like we're doing a show or something this weekend? He's like, oh, I got something else in mind. I'm like, what do you got? And he's like, oh, I'm building my own ring and starting my own school. I was like, wow. <laughs> okay. You know? I mean, there was like four schools back then. You know, right. We had Sharps, Sharp, Sharps, Kowalski's, and uh, ECWA. I think we're, they were the only four, like, close to here. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's an interesting endeavor. Like, how are you going to do that? He's like, yeah, I'm going to build the ring myself. Uh, you know, do you want to help me train guys? I was like, yeah, I guess. Sure, man. Like, you know, whatever. Let me know when you get it up and running. You know, I'll come down and check it out. Look, I have to take him seriously. <laughs> that Friday, the next night, he calls me, tells me the ring is built, come to this address, and I have two tryouts coming Saturday morning. Can you be here? And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I drove over to this warehouse, and I pull in, and I see, you know, like uh, there's a carpet warehouse in the front, and then like an abandoned warehouse, and then this huge warehouse all the way in the back. And, I, you know, I didn't know which one was which. And I'm like, what the hell is this place sure. going to be? So I see him standing outside, and uh, I go up, and I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, yeah, come in and check it out. And I'll be damned if he didn't build a goddamn ring in a day and start a school. And he's like, you know, take a few bumps in the ring. Let me know what you think. You know, we just got it done because, yeah, he had a bunch of friends that were welders and everything, and, and he welded and did plumbing and carpentry and all that. So the very first CZW ring was the stiffest thing in creation. It was built like a brick had uh back in the day you know, a lot of rings had this big center like car spring and mm-hmm. that's where the give came from. Well he right. didn't have that. It had tires underneath. 
And I mean, it was well, it was rock solid. It was like, but like, I'd have been less hurt bumping on the floor, I think. So oh, man, that's that's a rough bump. <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah, we're still adjusting it. So you know, he took tires out. Um, I think he ended up going with some uh, flexi suspension system, which actually is similar to what high spots rings have now. Huh. But the bump ended up being really decent. And then the next day uh, was Saturday, and a kid who became Billy the Beach Bombaja, who probably nobody knows. I think he did maybe <laughs> he might have he might have done three early CCW shows, uh, and him and Lobo show up as the first few tryouts. Past the tryout, you know. Now we have two students. Here we go. We're off and running with these two guys. Right. And so then now uh, we went. Did that um, that um, just turned into more, you know, tryouts, or um, was there even a plan to actually do like a full show yet? No, no, we actually uh, we I don't even think it was Combat Zone. I don't know if it had a name. I know at one point he was going to call it War Zone, and yeah. Then he realized there was already a show on the air called Warzone. It was the <laughs> second hour of Raw. And yeah, you know, he went with he went with Combat Zone. And I always remember like I would hear uh uh Dennis Corluzo used to joke that there was these sneakers out at the time that were called Combat Zone sneakers. They sold them at like Payless or something. Yeah, they were uh yeah, we used to call them Bobos down in this area. I don't know what you guys call them. But right. yeah, they they were they had like camouflage on the side and they looked like old zips. You know, but instead of, like, a Nike thing, they said, like, Combat Zone. Dennis always used to be like, oh, that's where he got the name for his company. But it honestly came because Warzone couldn't be used. <laughs> he really wanted to yeah. go Warzone really bad. But, yeah, we had uh, we had zero plans to run shows at that point, as far as, as, far as I knew. You know, he might have had the plan all along to run shows. Mm-hmm. But he was just, you know, doing a school at the point, at that point. And then we had guys like Quicksilver come in, who became White Lotus, um, Atticus Reigns, who he went on to run Vintage Pro. Mm-hmm. He had a brother, uh, Red Rays, we called him. I don't remember the kid's real name. Actually, might have been like a brother-in-law or something. Somebody you know. Mm-hmm. It was actually pretty decent. But uh, he's another one that's washed out. Um, I'm trying to think who else we had. Uh, I remember that guy, the sensational one, came down and started training there, but he wasn't really our student. He had come from somewhere else. And then uh, Mr. Motion and the Heartbreaker had students, and they would come down and split time at John's school. Uh, I think Z-Bar came in with them, but that was a little after. Like, I know they had come through a few times. Like, they would come through, and and basically they would just come to work out because there weren't a lot of schools. There was Hawkins over in Philly, but, like, not a lot of – schools where you can get a lot of good gym time in. So, like, they would bring, like, James Proper and guys like that with them, and they would just come and work out. And then uh, a guy rented the warehouse in front of us to do a Halloween haunted attraction in September and October of that year. And the whole deal was he built this haunted maze, and you'd go through the maze and, you know, whatever they're grabbing at and all that nonsense. And then the guy himself was an Alice Cooper tribute band. So he'd go through the maze, you'd see him perform a few Alice Cooper songs, and then he worked into the deal that um, they would open the 
doors that divided the thing and funnel people in, and they would see like two or three wrestling matches. And that was a way to get our guys in front of crowds, you know, some experience. And I think we had yeah. like, the Brothers of East LA came in, um, and they had some students. So, you know, it was like just doing like three or four little matches, you know, every hour or hour and a half <clears throat> for groups of people all night. And we did that, and those are the first CZW shows. And that is where Nick and Chris came from. Um, right. At some point, they had given John a tape of their they were backyard and doing the hardcore stuff. Mm-hmm. And they came in and did a match on those uh, on those Halloween shows. And that was their first ever wrestling match, like in front of like a real crowd in a real ring. And at some point after the match, um, maybe like the next day or something, you know, they signed up at the school. And then through them came TCK, Rick Blade, uh, a few others. Um, there were like there was like five or six, yeah, you know, like their whole backyard group came. And I think out right. of all four of them made it to what eventually was CZW. But then that's when the CZW idea really started coming on. Yeah, John's now like we're gonna run shows, you know. We got guys, we got connections, we don't need anybody else. You know, we're gonna do this. And he made a show date. Uh I still have posters of the original, which was was February February ninety nine, but I can't remember the exact day. But the ironically, the original name of the company was the Combat Zone Wrestling Alliance, C Z W A. Um, somewhere between us making the posters and doing the show, we dropped the A. But, like, there's even characters on that poster that were nobody. You know, like, kind of right. uh, characters John had thought up, but there was a guy, The Cooler. The Cooler was advertised for five months on posters and never existed. <laughs> I don't know what the concept of the gimmick was. John tried to explain it to me a few times. It was, like, something... Something to do with casinos, and this was like a it's like a mob or a gang character he had envisioned, and he just never found the guy to fit the role. And then even like Zandig, the baddest MFR in the biz, according to the poster, was nobody. You know, he appeared on the first show as the icon, and he didn't huh. wrestle. He just came out and did a speech uh, after he threw that equalizer guy out of the building. Wow. And I think. I think the second, I don't know if it was the second or third show where we established a champion with a battle royal. That's uh-huh. when he actually started wrestling as Zandig. But yeah, he wasn't Zandig, was just a name on a poster originally. We didn't know who it was. We used to joke about all these names on the poster and like who they were going to be. And, you know, Zandig became Zandig. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And it, I saw on his shoot too that he said he pretty much just, uh, <laughs> everyone thought, uh, you know, Danzig, and he, he pretty much said, no, I just uh, found a word that kind of didn't mean anything and, and went with it. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, that's close. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know. Like, I, I'm sure he saw maybe a sticker on a, a truck or something, and maybe it stuck in his head, because he certainly didn't know who Glenn Danzig was. I can tell you, that's right. musical taste. <laughs> yeah, I was used to it, <laughs> yeah. and he, he was not. But, right. uh, and then, ironically, when Jeff Rocker came in years later, you know, he used Danzig's mother. And you right. know, he was like, hey, John, that's your song. And he's like, I don't, he wouldn't, John didn't get the joke. Like, what do you mean that's my song? I'm like, 
never mind, forget it. <laughs> so yeah. he legitimately probably never knew who Danzig was, but yeah, I think he probably just saw that like on a you know, somewhere written and reworked it in his mind or who knows, maybe he did, you know, jumble that name in his mind, but yeah, yeah it was never gonna, it was never meant to be him as far as I know. Yeah, um, uh, CZW's identity pretty much became, you know, high risk. And, I mean, deathmatches overall, I think, you know, took a lot of it. But, I mean, even just big bump-wise, it became, you know, really the thing that made CZW stand out. What was the plan of that going in? Like, do you remember, you know, talks about what the plan was or, you know, what was going to pop? To be quite honest... It was a lot of happenstance. Um, you know, we had Nick and Chris, and you know, I mean, obviously, Nick. If you actually go back and watch the very first show, Nick Gage's name is Nick Cage. Uh, he changed it with once once again another guy that might not have known that there was an actor with that name. I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Um, <laughs> it's like the most clueless locker room on the planet. I it was you know. It, I, I, I used to shake my head and laugh sometimes. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying like, that you, that's Nick Cage. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> yes, I know. Like, it, they would say these things, and you would just go, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> but, yeah, they they eventually changed him, which is fine. But, uh, yeah, I think the first hardcore match on CZW was Lobo and Derek Domino who I don't know if you remember Derek Domino. He was one half of the Mystics with Harley Lewis, which they were an awesome tag team uh, back in the day and the 90s. If you can ever look up some of their stuff, they were really good. I I think they even had a tryout at one point. Uh, I don't know if either of them work anymore. I I knew Domino when he was Frankie the Fixer, I think he was. was I I think he was a Rumsby guy, honestly. Uh, Harley Lewis, I think. I think he might have been a Rumsby guy. Um, yep, there were two guys in shape. You know, they had a good gimmick. They called themselves the Misfits. They came out to the doors. People are strange. Uh, they had Angel, the the female Angel, the manager who was in ECW. She was their manager in NWA first before she went there. Um, yeah, and they were good. So Domino, they were known as tough guys too. You know, they had a reputation. Mm-hmm. So both nice guys, both tough guys. Don't get me wrong; they were they were definitely you know legit tough guys. But uh, Domino had worked Ian Rotten for Dennis in some barbed wire bat matches. Mm-hmm. I think we even won in Paulsboro, even at like the Hill Theater or something. And uh, he came in to do a hardcore match with Lobo, who originally Lobo wasn't even going to be a hardcore guy. He had envisioned himself as a Shawn Michaels, and that's a whole other issue. <laughs> wow. Many, many, many nights of Shawn Lobo doing the upside-down corner bump and then trying to roll back and land on his feet. He did hit a couple times, but yes, he settled into the death match after a while. <laughs> oh, wow. All the best intentions there. Uh, yeah, but yeah, they were... They were the first hardcore match. I, I think the only hardcore match that night, that first night, I think actually the first person to get color was me. And it was brutal, hard way from uh, reverse chair shot from one of the brothers of East LA. Laid me open and put 18 stitches up the center of my head, which I still have a nice fancy part in my hair from. 
because <laughs> I learned what hospitals not to go to because the hospital I went to stitched my head wrong. And instead of stitching the skin together, they stitched it over. So now I have a scar in the front of my head that's covered by my hair, so hopefully I never lose that, but it makes my hair grow off to the side. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, um, then it was it was more or less by chance that uh, I guess they saw something they liked as far as, you know, the match with Ian outside of CZW that launched it into it? Or? Yeah, uh, Chris and Nick, I think, had a lot of influence on it because they were big um, – into like watching like like Chris uh, Justice Payne I guess you call some people know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about right um, Payne Payne was in both both him and Nikki I mean I guess everybody knows their brothers I, it, yeah whatever I don't sure. know if I'm dropping a ball there but I don't think I am no no but uh, yeah they they were real into the Japanese stuff and at some point I guess they must have just taken to the heart well, yeah, they were big ECW fans too mm-hmm. but where ECW was one kind of hardcore, because you couldn't really ever call, you know, and when I say, like, garbage wrestling, that's, yeah, it's not a knock. It's what it was called in Japan, you know? The right. best match were the, were the garbage companies, and they were fans of that. You know, and I, I honestly don't really think there was a lot of actual, like, actual garbage wrestling in ECW, you know? I wouldn't mm-hmm. say they really... They did hardcore, and they did blood, you know, and they did barbed wire and all, but I don't think they per se did the kind of death matches we ended up doing in combat zone. Right. You know, I just don't, I don't think, not that I recall. I mean, maybe they did. I just, you know, certain guys did obviously like Axel and Ian, you know. I mean, obviously they're, you know, they're forebearers to bring in that style over here. You know, sure. that was the first place I'd ever seen a Taipei death match or anything like that. And even doing shows, you know, back with NWA when I was working with them, you know, Ian would come in and do barbed wire bat, which I know was a Japanese gimmick. So, you know, those guys definitely brought it over first. But I think as a company as a whole, I don't know if ECW was ever looked at as that deathmatch was their focus, which is kind of what right. ECW became early on. Yeah. Which is weird because we had so many really good workers still. Mm-hmm. You know, and not that I'm not saying that the deathmatch guys aren't good workers. I'm just saying, like, as far as like juniors and stuff go, you know, we had sure. guys who were really crisp and smooth, and sure. you know that that's kind of how best of the best came up too. Like, right. you know, John felt that those guys were getting overshadowed, and he always <laughs> best of the best. One of those funny stories where, you know, it was kind of a shoot on the Super Eight, right? Like, yeah, ECW is. Yeah, ECWA always did Super 8, and John always had this kind of thing that, you know, we're better than everybody, so we'll outdo their Super 8. We'll do best of the best in our tournament. We'll have 12 guys in it. And so it's best of the best Super Juniors. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can touch that first tournament. But that was all just to get, you know, John wanted to highlight the, you know, the wrestling. Yeah, which is with, like, with the death match, you had the stigma, but we still drew the crowds, which is good. But but you right. definitely, you know, sometimes it was a strike on your record, you know, to be associated with it, even if you didn't do it. Like, you know, the death matches I did were in Japan. You know, mm-hmm. I never did. I don't think I've done any over in the states. I've done, you know, cage matches, ladder matches, all that crap. But I don't think mm-hmm. I did like the bar. You know, I did barbed wire boards with Sandig and uh, Kanamura and Pondo. 
And yeah. we did some hardcore thing over in Japan with uh, me, Pondo, John, and Kasai. And then me and John did, I don't remember what they called it. It was some, like, weird super deathmatch, stupid name. And then, you know, mm-hmm. there was light tubes and all that nonsense. And I was like, wow, this is, this is real fun. Right. Um, well, in uh, 99, in, in that first year, they did um, one of the infamous uh, big stiffs was Pyramid of Hell. Um, what was your, you know, memory of that event? Uh, was Pyramid of Hell a stiff or did it just happen? Uh, yeah, that I was, think it, it happened, but it ended up being the identity of the, you know, the show. Yeah, we we named... In classic fashion, we would name the, the videos yeah, VHS afterwards. actually at the time. We would name them afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. And then somehow try to put a really, really good spin on it with no commentary. Um, right. Yeah, they – God, who was that even? That was that was John up top and Lobo, right? Did uh, he have Lobo or Justice Peter? Oh, Justice yes, Payne right. jumped through the roof. Yeah. Did he did, yeah. wait, did he come to the roof on the first one? See, I'm getting them confused. Yeah. When? Yep. Okay. Yep, the tax yes. rained down, and then he jumped through the hole in the roof, uh, and I think Lobo was on the table. That's right, because the one I was thinking of was John at the Arena, Pyramid of Hell 2 or whatever. Same same spot. Yeah, that was – was that? that was – I think that was uh, – Nick and Chris and Lobo came up with that, and I, I really think – that might have been Chris coming up with that on his own, like the idea. Mm. Uh, I know they just they just wanted to do a big table spot, and I think, oh God, I'm trying to think back. It's a long time now. Um, that was Justice Payne was suspended, possibly. Maybe the month before he did the, the uh, hanging gimmick with Lobo, where he went up on the cherry picker list and threw him off the side and was supposed to hang him with a rope, but the rope was too long and Lobo just awkwardly hit the ground really, really hard. And we thought he was dead. <laughs> and then and he was able to stand up and then they kind of hung him. Uh, yeah, I, I remember that. Was he, was he working hardcore Nick in that match? Was it Nick uh, that put him on the table and then the taxi? Yeah, I think right so. Down. He lit. Okay. Yeah, the torch. Yeah, because, uh, right, and they had it all set up, and then and then Chris came through the ceiling. Yeah, that's right, guy. That, mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. Yeah, I th- that was one of those things where it was just you know they wanted to do something spectacular that people didn't forget, and you know, obviously it worked because we're talking about it right now. Right. But I don't know so uh, much if it was planned as the focus of the whole event, like it became after the after the video came out, mm-hmm. as much as it was kind of in the not in the moment, obviously, because we needed to have all the tables there and. Come set up, but I, I think it was just you know they would these young guys would come up with these ideas and pitch them to John, and John would be like, "Yeah, it sounds fucking cool. Let's do it," and then they would do it. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, was that um, you know, from your side of things, was that like a shock? Did you see like, okay, these guys are going in a whole other direction, or you know, was that the first moment? No, not really, because. Uh, I mean, we'd already been going that way. Mm-hmm. You know, the hard... John clearly liked the hardcore. Yeah. There was... He, when he had come in as the icon, you know, and he did the whole... You know, some people would say he was ripping off some guy from other places that 
dressed similar and shook ropes and such. Might be in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> that type of thing. Didn't hear that guy before either. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's another who's that conversation. About? What are you talking about? <laughs> what, uh, ultimate who? I don't understand, but yeah, he did, he did that a lot. But, you know, it's one of those things. John well, was... Nick Cage, if he, he knows what you're talking about, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> wrestling, I invented that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was, he, he had, when he had come into the business, uh, he was going with a character that might have been starting to grow outdated uh-huh. because of the way, you know, at that point, fans, younger fans were getting older and you really only had the hardcore diehard fans sticking with it at that point because it was, you know, just around Monday Night Wars, that's when, and that's when you start drawing in this younger audience. And uh, ECW started picking up steam when he came in. So that was drawing a different audience. And he came in with kind of this dated character, more or less. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he ever enjoyed doing the icon gimmick. You know, I don't know if he right. came up with it or if someone had given it to him. But I think when the hardcore started and he saw it, because, I mean, if you come around my town and you ask people about, you know, uh, Zandig, they all know who he is. You know, he's had a hell of a reputation mm-hmm. since he was, you know, a child around here <laughs> fighting and being tough. So I think the hardcore seemed more real to him. So he gravitated towards it, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I know I've seen him do interviews where, like, you know, no, I don't like getting hurt. I don't mind it. You know, it's just part of the business and all that. But on a level, he identified with it and he liked it. And that's mm-hmm. that, I think, is what drove the hardcore was that he liked it so much. Right. Um, so I, I think another, that's really where it started turning. Yeah. Um, another 99 uh, incident was the, um, I think, uh, well, still infamous, especially in Loki's mind, uh, the Loki incident, um, where with him and Rick Blade, and uh, I think something with Shorty backstage and everything. What was your memories of that? Uh, I thought it was dumb. I thought everyone involved was being, you know, kind of stupid. I mean, see, that's the thing. A lot of those guys hadn't been anywhere but with us. Right, and then you had like a certain group of guys that were coming out of New York that at that point hadn't been anywhere but there, you know, and then you had a few of us who'd been around and, and, you know, been at TV and, you know, worked other shows and knew not to take things so seriously. That whole thing started with two stubborn people and Ripley botched a table spot. He... They used a six-foot table. It was a, that was the one that was at Cashmere's uh, school, right? The textiles, Philadelphia textiles. So uh, yeah, where so. he knocked it. Yeah, so Blade, you know, goes up on the back of a backboard. He jumps down right. to do a leg drop on Low-Key, who's laying on a table that's only six foot long, which if you've ever put anybody through a table, the six-foot tables, they're, you know, legs are closer together, frames a little sturdier, hard to break no matter mm-hmm. what size you are. And Rick Blade's not a big guy. So he hits the table, and low-key, the table, I think, tips, it bows a little bit, 
pops back the shape, tosses them off, blade goes flying back, lands on the back of his head, knocked unconscious. Um, I don't know if he landed on low T right or what the deal was on Key's part. Uh, he got up mad. I don't ever remember him attacking Blade, but I remember Blade's wife yelling at him. You know, they all broke kayfabe at that point. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think he started it. Um, I think he was just selling, maybe trying to figure out what was going on. And I remember Blade's wife got hot at him, and somehow it was Key's fault that the table didn't break. And then they got heated. He wasn't going to take shit, which you know I don't blame him. You're not going to have you know, a girl in the fan's eyes, you know, jabroning you in front of all the fans and you're supposed to be have a tough guy character. You're just not. Like right. but he yelled yelled back at her. Uh then I remember there were a couple guys that had heat with Key, but not heat that he knew about. Like there's jealousy heat. You know, right. and they kinda of looked at it as their opportunity to stick up for their boy, you know, and get in his face. And so there was a lot of people being stupid. And uh, Loki probably did the smartest thing because I remember he's just stormed in the back and left. You know, he stormed right. in the back and, and went and sat. You know, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't want to hurt Blade. It wasn't his fault. You know, it was an accident. But um, I think how he reacted in front of the crowd was to protect his character. So I don't fault him on that. Mm-hmm. You know, there was... There was a lot of jealousy when guys came in from outside that were good, you know, because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Loki's good. And yeah. even back then, like, it's like, you know, I mean, they'll say, you know, you can say guys are spotty and whatever. But, I mean, for that style that he does, he was good. And at that time, he was really good, you know. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of guys doing what he did. So there was a lot of jealousy with the quote-unquote juniors and, you know, guys that worry about losing their spot. So they would look, you know, to get rid of guys like that. And if they could do it by making a guy look like a dick, you know, they would do that. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what a lot of that was. I I don't know if he's ever spoken on it. Um, I've seen him sparingly over the years. You know, I think, like, uh, he's I'm trying to think where the last time I even saw him at. I can't even remember. You know, he was always working. Uh, after he stopped working for us, I think he did ROH later, and I know he mm-hmm. was a jury all-pro guy, and we didn't really interact with a lot of those guys back then. Right. Because, uh, honestly, a lot of times they were in the same night as us, and they were yeah. pretty much competition. So mm-hmm. we didn't really, you know, we didn't really see them. So I don't know his angle on it. Uh, I don't know if he had a problem with Blade, but, you know, as, as far as I remember, it was an accident that a lot of people reacted badly to. You know, I, right. I'm sure if you talk to each and every individual one, they'll all think that they're right. Sure. But, I mean, I mean, from my eyes, I never saw that as Loki's fault. You know, I don't think, I think Blade's wife should just went with him. And I get it. You're going to, you know, they're married. You're going to react out of emotion. Obviously, there's your husband laying completely unconscious, possibly dead. You know, you're going to lash out, but in this business, you can't do that in front of the fans. You have to keep it together. Right. So it was kind of kind of a combination of youth and emotions that, you know, and just 
not understanding how certain things work kind of escalated a situation that probably could have just been smoothed over, you know. And Blade was fine, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he had a concussion, yeah. maybe. You know, I don't, I don't recall missing any ring time. Um, I yeah, remember that, him being up and around later. Yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense too because um, Loki. I mean, he's just—he's not a shoot interview guy. He's not like a big uh, let me tell you exactly what happened guy. He's, you know, he keeps it pretty close to the vest, but it's pretty much been like a a locked-in statement that CZW is out of the question due to what happened, and it never went any further. And from a lot of people on CZW side of things, it's just Loki flipping out, unprofessional, blah 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 blah. So I never really heard a side of things that, yeah, his character was kind of attacked in front of the fans, and then I guess teamed up on as far as uh, other guys being against him. It, it makes a lot more sense that way. Yeah, and I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe that's hurt some feelings, but you know, I mean, that's just what it was. It, you know, mm-hmm. it, like I walked away from that night confused about what happened. You know, but I mean, it wasn't my match, so like I can't tell you exactly what happened. I watched it happen, but you know, right? I mean, Loki was the guy laying on the table. He didn't move. You know, I just I I don't think he did anything wrong. I don't think like he, you know, had a super hard head and like his plan was to, you know, hold onto that table as tight as it could so it didn't break and throw it blade on the back of his head. You know, it just wasn't. It was just right. an and, and you know. It was all handled poorly. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, CCW, you know, around 2000 into 2001, um, ended up moving locations a lot. Um, and I, I guess there was different reasons, whether it be, uh, you know, rent or athletic commission or whatever. But um, was it hard to keep your fan base doing that? Um, when you say location, you got to – you gotta remind me. We're talking two thousand one. So that is Is that when we go from champs? Yeah. Well you went to the first, arena? First there was well not not even that just yet. I mean there was uh the move two champs from where you were, you know, prior. I think Marlton or Oh, oh, okay. So from where we were in Mantua. Mantua. Yeah. And yeah, okay. Um that was all township. Uh, we had had issues and <clears throat> we were running the school there. Um, I remember I came to the school one day and there was a sign on the door, uh, order of, I don't know if that's Woolwich Township or Mantua Township or whatever the hell it was, or we know the township, one of those ones, some building inspector. Um, we were not zoned to do what we did there was his assertion. And John, I know, went to several meetings with this guy. And, you know, he had to build out a handicapped bathroom, which he did. Then he had to put stairs on the side of the building, which he did. Every couple days, this guy was coming here and, you know, costing us money because he's having John do all these repairs to this building to basically convert it into, you know, like, I don't know if this guy was trying to turn this little warehouse into, you know, a huge sports arena or whatever his deal was. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he just kept kept nickel and diamond us. So it got to the point where we just 
couldn't you couldn't legally run shows there now because the guy's closing the building all the time and, and uh, pulling the CO and all that. So we moved the shows and the school. Um, it was actually a brief time, I want to say, when the school, we actually had to pretty much close it up and pack it up and put everything in a storage locker for like a week or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, we moved it to Champs for the shows. I'm, I'm trying to think where we went for the school right after that. That was, uh, okay, that's when we went to the cheer tech. All right. So, yeah, we went from Mantua, moved everything up one one night. And, I mean, it was a pain in the ass because we had weight equipment, two rings at, by that time. Uh, there was a lot of John's personal stuff stored there. Um, a lot of his other businesses stuff was stored there. All the chairs that we owned, you know, not to count the ones we rented for the shows, and all sure. that had to be moved in, in like a day. And I, I think it took us like literally like 24 straight hours of moving stuff to get it all over there. And that's when we went over. Um, the school ended up in Westville at, uh, at an industrial park that was zoned for it because they had had a cheer school in there. And we split. This guy, uh place is called Cheer Tech, and he had this huge, huge space, like two mm-hmm. warehouses big, for his cheerleading school and competitions. And something had happened with his uh, competitions where he wasn't going to do them there anymore. He was doing them at an outside place. So now he had all this extra space, and he cut a deal with John to rent that whole half of the building for us. Mm-hmm. And that's where we went and... uh set up the school there, and then we moved the shows to Champs, which was an indoor soccer arena, which is probably one of my favorite buildings we ran. Right. Um, yeah, and then, um, I mean, that year, 2001, that's actually when I started, I found out about CZW, and I started going in uh, February 2001. And, um, I, I mean, that's where I really just got hooked on the company, um, the different things they were doing, you know, combination of the, the junior stuff and the the deathmatch stuff is obviously the attention getter. First show I went to, they had a, you know, wife beater throwing Lobo off of the the uh, referee stand through burning barbed wire tables. I never saw anything like oh. that before. So, hey, you want a funny story on that? Yeah. Go back and watch that tape. Wife beater presses Lobo over his head upside down, tosses mm-hmm. him off. Lobo goes through the flaming tables and everything. And you see a mad scramble of people looking under the ring. Well, what they're looking for are the brand new fire extinguishers that we had bought for that. So then you see guys dousing Lobo with their water bottles. I'm standing in the back next to John, and he's losing his mind. So I'm, where the fuck are the fire extinguishers? We just bought these fucking things. He looks down, and they're at our feet. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Fuck. And then I think uh, uh, there was, was, I forget the the security guy's name. I know Scrawny Shawnee wasn't, he was working there, but I don't know if it was him that ran out or this other guy, Jeff, I think was his name. They were somehow related to Rob Hartog. And I (laughs) remember him running running out with the fire station. By the time he got out there, Lobo was already out. I just remember John freaking out, looking for these fire, you know, like where, because they were supposed to be under the rank. Mm Mm-hmm. 
We bought them. We bought them brand new. We were so well prepared. We forgot to put them under the rent. Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> in in back at our feet as Lobo was burning. So yeah, um, you know, there's there's been like a consistent theme, and I'll get to you know the the later CDW years in a little while, but um. Uh, there's been a consistent theme that people like to put out there that DJ Hyde pretty much invented wrestling in CZW and it was only death matches, you know, and being a guy who showed up watching it in February, 2001 and seeing, you know, the SATs and the, the Briscoes and, and the, the back seats. And I mean, the list goes on and on and everything you were doing out there. And, you know, I always took offense to it because I'm like, that's, that's not even remotely close to the truth. Um, you know, what was your thoughts on it? Because I know you, you had to have heard the same thing. Um, at that point, I would say 2000 to the beginning of 2002, we probably had one of the best locker rooms ever as far as talent, you know, everyone getting along, uh-huh. and, you know, just work rate. Like, we had an awesome tag team division. We had an awesome juniors division. We had an awesome heavyweight division. And, yeah, we had an awesome deathmatch division, which other people didn't have. Um, yeah, we got the deathmatch stigma a lot, you know. But mm-hmm. all that said and done, we also had TV. We had a Japan deal. You know, at that point, I was able to live off of professional wrestling. All right. And, you know, we were really successful. I think that was the the year and a half, two-year run where CZW really made money. And, yeah, it was... It was annoying when you would hear the stigma, but I never heard it from fans. I always heard it from other workers. And it would be like, uh, you know, somebody would book me and Tommy to go do a tag match, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, oh, VD's, we got VD coming in. And we'd go and we'd, you know, meet our opponents. Go on, you know, what do we want to do tonight? All that nonsense. And then you'd hear... And talk where you go, oh, where do you, you guys are those combat zone guys? All you guys do is death matches. It was always from other workers that I heard it, and it was always right. from other workers on shows that didn't make as much money as we were making back then. Right. So, you know, I, I think it kind of had the same stigma as ECW, you know, but different because a lot of these ECW guys were, were more established before they had, you know, went there. Like, I'm sure, you know. Uh, Shane Douglas probably got, you know, he was the king of the goofs, you know, because uh, ECW was nothing but goofs and hardcore guys, which wasn't true. But the guys that right. said that were the guys that weren't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. So um, it, it was kind of the same thing with CCW. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, combat sounds terrible. Yet those same guys, a lot of them you would see in the crowd. Sure. At our shows. So, mm-hmm. I, I never took it personal, but yeah, it was annoying back then. Um, I've never heard the thing now that that DJ introduced the the wrestling in the CZW. Yeah, I, that's isn't his whole deal. Like he of, does, he mostly does hardcore himself, right? Like that's like his thing. Yeah, yeah. I that's mean, what I mean. The uh, pro DJ era CZW guys. That's one of the first things out of their is out of their mouth as well. Wrestling wasn't like it, you know, wrestling is a million times better now because, uh, you know, it's not as much death matches and I, I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's just a different crop of guys there now. 
You know, there's not. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, do you see a lot of deathmatch guys even even out there? Yeah, I mean, they have to dig to get opponents for some of these guys now. Sure. Yeah, it's you know, harder to come by now. Um, right, now now but, you have a generation that's kind of brought up on, you know, of smaller guys being smaller and, like, looking at their goals like an ROH, you know, mm-hmm. so they want to do that style. I, I just think it's more of, you know, it's a different crop of guys now. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, you had the, you know, the team VD, um, Betty Valentine, and uh, you guys, you know, had a great run. Um, what was your favorite matches or, or team to work against with VD? Oh, boy. Oh, God, we worked everybody. I mean, oh, I'm to say one's my favorite. might piss some people off, but um, let's see. Who did I like working? Well, I can preface it by how we got together. It was a total accident. There's, sure. We were put together. It, uh, the first time we ever inter- interacted in CCW was in a match against each other. And like a three-way with, uh, I don't know, it was like Jeff Rocker. And I know John was looking, Rocker could get us buildings in Delaware, mm-hmm. but John had to find something to do with this guy. And he put us with him. And I remember me and Eddie were like, oh, my God. Like, at first, I didn't like Tommy at first. I, not that I didn't, you know, not that he wasn't a nice guy or anything. I just didn't know him. I, it, right. If you go back and look right before that run starts, I was really breaking out into some cool stuff. Uh, you know, I'd I just started doing a bunch of, um, yeah, like my Japanese suplex stuff that mm-hmm. I would do at school, but I wouldn't do on shows. I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Everybody else is doing what they, what they want. I'm just going to do what I want. You know, right. and I was getting over, you know. I was getting the doctor's sure. going to kill you chant, all that. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And then they, you know, they told me, oh, we're going to put you with this guy. And I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. Like, I was mad. I was hot about it. I'm not going to lie. I was like, well, I want to put me with this guy. And then they put us with Rocker. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, give me, you know, <laughs> what's next? They mail me a gun and then fuck two days later mail me a bullet to kill myself? Yeah, I was pissed. <laughs> but then uh, I think Kashmir had brought Eddie in or got Eddie hooked up with the deal or something. But Eddie called me. And I don't even know how he got my number. And... Uh, he said he he said to meet him at the school. He wanted to talk to me. It was serious, and I'm like, "Fuck, does this guy want?" You know, mm-hmm. like so. I yeah. thought maybe you know because I was friends with Max Mack, uh, and I thought maybe and Max Mack and Cashmere were really friends. I thought maybe I had popped off about the whole situation to, to Smack, and maybe he told Johnny and I told him I've got to come down and fight this fucking guy that I barely know. <laughs> right. I get down there. And he's like, hey, man, you know, I think we could do something good. And I'm like, what? Yeah, totally blindsided me. He's like, I just want to know that you're serious about being a tag team. He's like, because if we get on the same page, we could be really good. I'm like, I mean, yeah, I guess. So we started coming up. You know, we got matching gear. Started working on all these spots, you know, and, and double teams and shit. And watching all sorts of tapes, we ended up becoming really good friends. Then our mission was to get away from Rocker. So, which I don't remember how we finally did that. But uh, that's when we started 
once we got away from him, um, I think, oh, he got hurt. He got hurt courtesy of uh, Ruckus, me, himself, the Rachis, and Tommy might have been involved too. Um, it was like a six-man tag at best of the best. And it was the Rachis and Rocker who had storyline turned on us or something versus us right. and Ruckus. And he tried to bitch on catching Ruckus on a dive. And if you go back and look, he's fighting to the back of the pack not to catch Claude. So I push him forward, and Claude comes down and just totally lands on his shoulder. Well, then he's supposed to take a concerto at the end of the match. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you look, he puts his arm down on a powerbomb I give him to, and that jacks his arm up even more. And then I think Eddie drops an elbow on it. I mean, you know, he this guy was going out of his way to hurt himself. And then at the end of the match, he goes to a concerto, and he turns sideways, and they just waffle his shoulder. Like, I don't know if he got scared at the last minute or what, but then I just remember the next month he shows up, and he's got, you know, like this electronic thing, working the muscles on his shoulder, whatever. But then we were away from it. And that's when we started having really good matches, guys. Uh, Trent and Johnny. Probably one of my favorite matches was our title match. Or it might have even just been the number one contender match we had at Champs. Um, and the match was just awesome. I loved it. Everything clicked. Uh, Verdi knocked me out at one point during the match, and they continued to run spots around my unconscious body. Um that match was good. I loved working uh, Flash and Danny Rose, the Rockies. Uh, the SATs were great matches. Um, Divine Storm. I mean, there was just so much tag team talent. The Briscoes. We always had good matches with the Briscoes. And then, uh, conversely, those two masked guys that looked like the Briscoes that may or may not have been old <laughs> enough to compete in the state of Pennsylvania called right. Midnight Outlaws uh, yep. at the arena. And then uh, we had big matches with Nikki and Nate, too. You know, mm-hmm. so, I mean, that whole era, you just, you showed up and you knew you were going to have a good match. You know, I mean, you knew yeah. it was going to be physical and brutal, but you knew it was going to be fun, you know, and, and it was going to be good. So I, I can't remember not liking working anybody at that point. Right. So, I mean, if I, um, but if I had to pick one, you know, I mean, Trent and Johnny. Like, yeah. was there a better tag team at that point? No. Nah. I mean, they were so smooth. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you were working the VD thing. Um, in the year 2002, I mean, that was – I've been going over – back over a lot of the, the old CCW stuff, and um, you, some of it I've kind of forgotten how fond of it I was. And I really think 2002 was my favorite year because, you know, they broke into the arena and they really made it their own. And the aura was – um, what was your favorite period of time in CZW? Uh, I'd probably say 2001. You know, just yeah. from a money standpoint, uh, you know, I got to go to Japan that year. It was having a bunch of good matches. Um, was it 2002 we debuted at the arena? Mm. Yeah, well, was it was it uh, December of 2001. And then okay, yeah, yeah. So that, that kind of capped off the year was debuting... <laughs> At the arena, so yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I think some of my favorite students came to the school. You know, um, Cash and GQ, Ian Knox. You know, it was just. It was a really fun time, and it was. Sh- 
shortly after that, and it was like when we went to the arena, we did have, I'd say, a first good six-month stretch of everybody being happy. But mm-hmm. then there were little things that just started cracking here and there. You yeah. know, just little it, things kind of became clicky with certain people. Um, there had been some infighting. There were people not liking how they were booked. You know, uh, people thought they should be in this spot or that spot. So, yeah, I remember things getting tense once we got to the arena. So I would say 2001 was probably my favorite time. Right. Yeah, understandable. I mean, I got hooked in 2001, so, I mean, it was that type of stuff that was keeping me going. And I think 2002 was that much more special for me just because, to me, it was like the company that I got hooked into looked like it was on a bigger stage and started to get more eyes and we're doing such big things. I'm, I wasn't in the locker room to, you know, feel things falling apart, but, um, you know, that's, that's more or less where I was there. Yeah. I don't want to say things were falling apart so much. Right. As, uh, it just tension was starting to show, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's like it was like a bad family situation all of a sudden. You know, mm-hmm. there was no divorce going on, but mom and dad were having problems. It, it was just a lot of tension. There was a lot of tension, you know, um, with John and Johnny. There was there was tension with, uh, you know, guys. Um, I think other guys were stiff, and then there were new guys coming in and, and getting pushed and. You know, it just it was it got it got weird. I mean, there was even I think uh, Eddie departed at some point in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember. We won the tag belts at the arena. I think yes, yeah, the Slim Punk gimmick that match. I don't remember what month that was in. Shortly thereafter. We only defended them like uh, maybe six or seven times, and that's you know, and a lot of those were B shows, like Allentown shows and shit like that. And uh, yeah, and then um, Tommy had run into some some trouble and was gonna step away from the business completely, and mm-hmm. you know, go do whatever he was going to do at that point. Because he was actually, you know, he was helping me train guys at the school. Um, right. Yeah, he rented a, a townhouse off Sandig. Uh And I know there was issue there, you know, money stuff, you know, and, and you know, you don't obviously sell things to friends and, and all that nonsense because it, it inevitably ends bad. But mm-hmm. so then he left and I just remember, like, it was like, boom, we lost the belts. Boom, he's gone. And now I'm kind of in limbo. And then it was right. just a lot of sitting back and watching just tensions build everywhere. You know, and, like, that was like that was our situation. Like, it was nothing I did, you know, that was mm-hmm. – that I, I, was, I don't think I was causing tension with anybody, but Eddie had heat in that locker room. And yeah. Yeah, obviously, I mean, obviously, I stayed. They, he left, and 
then it was kind of like, what do I do? You know, at that point, I'd been so locked into tag teams. You know, then it was do whatever. <laughs> sure. Whatever needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, after the tag team run, you know, Eddie left, and uh, you became a singles guy, and, and you were still, I mean, one of the most over, you know, wrestler wrestlers in CZW, and a CZW guy, not like a guy who would just be brought in. You were, you know, a mainstay that would just get over with wrestling. Um, a lot of times what you would do is you would stay down with your students towards the, you know, the opener or even, you know, just lower on the card. Um, was that your decision to to stay in that spot? Half yes, half no. It was kind of the catbird seat. You know, like, I wanted to do more. I could do more. But that's when things had gotten clicky. So certain mm-hmm. guys were only working with certain guys. Other guys were only working with other guys. And I've, you know, never really been a politician. You're paying me. I'm showing up. I'm going to do whatever the fuck. You know, you want me to lose, I'll lose. You want me to win, I'll win. I don't care. You know, I just want to go out there, you know, be decent at what I'm doing, entertain the people, and go home. Well, I'd kind of fallen into this role of every new guy that came in worked me. Then I would go tell John how they work. And, you know, I mean, a lot of those guys would go, you know, he'd use them, he'd bring them in, want to see if they could work. My job was to figure that out. And then they, he would right. go and, and, you know, push them or do whatever with them. And then same with the students. Like, the students would come in, you know, and they'd work the trainer because I could give them a good match. And then, you know, they go up and I go down. So I was kind of already being treated like an old guy. You know, in my twenties. Right. <laughs> but right. No, I didn't. I didn't mind it. Uh, you know, I made money. I got a ton of other bookings out of it, and I'd say nine out of ten times, I was happy with the match that I had. You know, five sure. out of ten times, I thought the match went perfect. But bottom line, we always got a pop. I was on yeah. first or second at that point. So there was no one to outdo. So mm-hmm. I would come out, hit my stuff, hit my pops, go away, and everyone just remembers John Dahmer had a good opening match. You know, that was fun. That means the show's starting. And then if people want to blow spots later in the night, that was their problem. I never had to deal with following it. Right. Um, so I, mean, I didn't mind there... that aspect of it. Because, I mean, to me, too, as a fan, I, I was always baffled by it that, I mean, it was fine for what it was. I, I had no problem with the matches the way that they went or anything like that. But I was always like, why, you know, at what point does John Dahmer not get, you know, Justice Payne in the main event? Like, why is that not going to be, at some point, the contender? He's obviously, you know, showing these young guys, you know, what to do. He's... He's dominant. He's putting these guys in his place. At what point does he get the the title shot? It was it was just never yeah. coming. You know, I, I never I never understood it. Um, I can't say John was bad to me, you know, because he was always you know really cool with me. We were friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it was like just one of those weird things. I didn't. I don't know. Maybe other guys didn't like me. Either. I know. You know, who knows? Um. It'd be, it was always crazy to me because I would go 
and work other places, and I was in Maine and other places. But even now, mm-hmm. I, I, I go, you know, I, I end up. I'm the guy who works for names. I, yeah, I'm always on the the top part of the show. But then the, the company that I helped build, I was always on the underneath. So I'm like, you know, whatever. Like it was even, you know, uh, when I teamed with Demonto, I loved us as a team. He loved us as a team. I thought we were a decent team. We won the tag belt. And then it was, like, immediately taken away from us, and then he was gone. And I'm like, man, mm-hmm. like, what the fuck? Yeah, mm-hmm. those, those things were, were kind of baffling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never understood. I, I never really asked. Like, I did, But then again, I also wasn't one of those guys that looked at that as, like, the top of the business either. You know, I was right. always... I was actively trying to get signed, you know, trying to get looks. I was sending my stuff out, you know. Not that I didn't want to be there. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, it came to a point where I was like, well, this is it. <laughs> How many times can you hear no? So this is where I'll be for now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, who knows? Maybe it was because I did that, you know. I mean, I never <laughs> sat down. You know, I said, hey, John, um, you know, I'm sending this to WCW or, you know, this to, to WWE. I'm going to go to this camp. You know, I'm meeting with this guy. I never told anybody. It, was, it wasn't their business, you know. Right. And if I left, I left. You know, I, would, I wouldn't I would go out on a bad note. I'd give them notice or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I just did my own thing. And who knows, maybe he knew, you know. Maybe it was because I didn't tell him that I did stuff like that, and maybe he found out about it with the grapevine or whatever. You know, maybe who knows? I don't know. I'll never know. I guess. Um, when you guys did go into the arena, was that a big deal to you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought it was cool the first time we were there. Like, first night was definitely a big deal. Um. It was intimidating. Mm-hmm. We had a really big crowd that night. Um, but yeah, it was cool. I mean, I had you know I'd gone to the arena for shows when I was in, in school. You know, I, I think I went to God as a kid. I went to every ECW show up until January of '96, and wow. there was a kid that was also training at Mike Sharp's that used to get front row at ECW all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember Mike pulling me aside and telling me, he's like, oh, yeah, you know that kid Ray? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see Ray all the time. He's like, yeah, I know you. You boys go to the, the shows and you watch them. Like, yeah. He's like, well, that's good. But, uh, you know, when you start working shows, that stops. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? He's like, you can go to the show, but only if you're going to be in the back and if you're invited. He just don't, you know. Don't sit with the people you want to pay to see you. I was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, December or January of 96 was the last wrestling show I attended as a fan. And uh, guys, I always thought, you know, that sticks with me to this day. I won't, you know, I'll go to a show if I'm invited. You know, I'll say, come in the back and say hi to people. I might stand by the curtain and watch the show, but you don't go, you know, I don't go sit out in the crowd. It's just, I just don't. And, like, if you did that back then, you 
know, they labeled you a mark, and they would basically tell you one side of the guardrail or the other, and the guys that watched the shows generally weren't on the shows. So it was, it was pretty big for me to have been there watching all those shows and then now to be in that ring. So, yeah, it was really, really special for me. And I uh, it was me and Eddie um, versus Cash and GQ, I think. And I want to say that might have been, like, their first real, like, tag match. And we really had a good match. I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm sure if I watch it now, I can find 8 million things wrong with it, as I always can when I watch my stuff. Um, oh. A year later, at the the following Cage of Death, and, you know, there had been some talks after it, but um, Zandig actually got on the mic at Cage of Death 4 and more or less apologized to all the boys in the back for letting the outside guys in and everything at, at Cage of Death 3 the year prior and that, um, you know, CZW was about CZW and those guys didn't even care about the guys in the back. Um, what was your experience being one of the guys and one of the locker room leaders in the back at Cage of Death 3? Um, at the first one you're saying or the, the second one, the apology one? Yeah, Cage of Death 3, the one well, he was apologizing for. Yeah, I mean, I don't even, like, I thought that angle was going to be really cool. Mm-hmm. If I recall correctly, me and Eddie were to work uh, Rocco Rock and Gary Wolf, I think, was what was put to us, and I was really looking forward to that. So I never saw it as a strike for them coming in. You know, I thought right. it was going to be good business, and, and I don't... I don't think at that time that we felt like that, but maybe other guys did. You know, maybe like a, a Chris or you know, Payne, somebody mm-hmm. like that might have felt like that. But I, I remember a lot of us thinking it was cool, you know? Right. But that, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. Within that year, things got real weird, real tense and clicky. And there were a lot of guys that started having problems with John but a lot of them didn't tell John they had problems with them. So it was a lot of he said, she said, and then, you know, nothing ever got said till it boiled over. And I, right. I think that was I think that was an attempt by John, you know, a legitimate apology to some people. Right. You know, to other people, you know, it didn't even really apply. But I think he was trying to bring everything back together at that point. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it worked. Because when did we lose Trent? Um, to uh, PW, not PWU. Yeah. Or and that was that thing. It was PWU. Yeah, they went and. Yeah. I I don't remember when that was, but I know that was huge. Yeah, that might have been. That was a couple of years later. Yeah, it couldn't have been too much farther after that. I know. Right. Oh, you know what? That was when we lost Chris uh, the year after that, right? Yeah, the uh, XPW thing. jumped to XPW. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> we all we learned about that on TV. <laughs> you get, yeah. get a call. Are you watching XPW? No, I, why would I watch that? It's fucking midnight. Maybe it's on. Oh, Justice Payne's on. What? <laughs> oh, hey, look. Hey, look. There he is. Well, that's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. Um. What was your relationship like, and, you know, what did you think of Chris or Justice Payne over the years? Because he had and continues to catch a lot of heat for 
you know, different relationships and his work and everything else? Uh, liked Chris outside of the school, outside of wrestling. I liked him. Um, I didn't like working him. I didn't like training him. He, uh, if you ever watch him run the ropes, he runs the ropes backwards and you would try and correct him and he would tell you it was because he was left-handed, but I mean, I've been doing this 19 years and I'm left-handed and I know how to run the ropes. So, I mean, whatever. All right. But yeah, he was he was difficult to deal with. He he came in already being trained but not being trained. So it was hard. If you if you watch a lot of his stuff, he does some stuff good, but he does pretty much everything his own way. So it was hard to get you know, if you didn't know Justice Payne's own unique style, it was hard to work with him. Um, Jerry Lynn will tell you that. CM Punk will tell you that. Uh, Trent Astor will tell you that. Um, God, who else? I mean, it's just a longer list. I'm sure Billy would have a few things. Uh, Messiah would have a few things to say. You know, he was hard to work with, and it was all all ego. I I remember me and DJ worked a tag match with him and Nikki, mm-hmm. and. At some point, something went wrong. I can't remember what it was. I remember I ate a chair shot to the face. Um, they really stuck to Nikki. And I remember uh, something they tried. Chris tried to shoot. Kyle drive me through a table or something. I was like, no, fuck you, dude. They're like, it's not happening. All right. And... Uh, and then we went for the finish, and he tried to stick me on the the pain thrower. You know, he tried to put me on my head like he did to his brother the one time. Right. Yeah. Um, except that, you know, I was lucky enough to rush what the fuck he was doing. And I tucked. And then after the match, I remember he stood on my throat and grabbed my gear and tore it. And then I got pissed. You know, I didn't want to, you know, blow up out there. So I was waiting until I got to the back. So I sold mm-hmm. the shit, and I got in the back, and I went after him. And John threw me outside. I thought he was going to fire me, but he just told me to, you know, cool off. And, like, I remember Nikki, you know, being like, oh, it's cool, Dom. I was just wrestling. You know, it's not a big deal. Like, like we're boys. And, you know, I didn't have a problem. I was like, no, no, not, not you, Nikki. I was like, fuck him. I want to fuck kill him. And, you know, Chris wouldn't even come, like, anywhere near me. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just putting his back to me and, and you know, being a cunt. But, uh, yeah, I think I was going to kill him that night. I remember one point okay. I had a wrench in my hand. And then John, you know, took me outside and I thought I was going to get fired. And at that point, yeah, I didn't give a fuck. I was, I was like, whatever. Yeah, you protect that fucking dude. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, he was just hard to work with. Like, And it's so funny because you would talk to him before a show or even after a show. Or, like, even if you ran into him now, you need to have a conversation. He's not a bad dude. Mm-hmm. But something about him, you know, when he's in the ring, I don't know if it was because he wasn't as good as he wanted to be. Maybe he got embarrassed. You know, yeah. I mean, you've seen his stuff. You know, right. for every good Justice Pain match, there's a bad Justice Pain match. They even themselves out. Sure. And I think that weighed on him, maybe. Because, I, I mean, he... Like, on the surface, seemed really dedicated to it, you know? 
but then he just refused to learn how to do it. Now, his brother, the opposite. Nick Gage was like a sponge. He would learn everything. And, I mean, there was, you know, there's stuff that kid couldn't do. You know, or there, there's nothing that kid couldn't do. You know, mm-hmm. he, like, Nicky could brawl. He could wrestle. Like, like and I, I know a lot of people don't think about Nicky like this. You know, he's like this big technical wrestler, but he really, really knows a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you if you really watch his matches, like, even his pacing, you know, he knows where to put things. Yeah, even when he's doing deathmatch, he's just, you know, he was good. He took to it. He was a natural. His brother yeah. was half of a natural. But for some reason, yeah. pushed more. Yeah, it was kind of it was an enigma. People used to call call Payne uh, the Enigma Junior behind his back. They were like, yeah, "That must be John's son," because there's no reason that that anybody would put up with that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "I don't know, man. I don't think John's a son, but you know that that was Chris. I mean, obviously he has you know a couple sons, but right. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think it's this kid, man. But yeah, that was the rap. They used to call him Junior. You know, and that probably didn't help. I mean, and even early on, there was an incident in NWA uh, where somebody shot a pin on on Payne. I think it might have been Inferno Kid. And I think it was kind of one of those, it literally might have been like Payne's like, probably his first match out of CZW. And maybe like second or third match ever. And, um, they dropped a leg drop on him. And it wasn't like they shot on him like they beat him up. You know, it mm-hmm. was like they went over this match, and he was excited to have this match. And then the kid pinned him with something lame, and the ref fast counted it. You know, right. one of those type of situations. So, I mean, he had, you know, from day one, he had a a, a bad taste in his mouth, I guess. And, and maybe that just started. Right. That just, you know, maybe he carried a chip on his shoulder. I don't know. Like I said, he was so nice. Like, you could get along with him so well outside the ring. Like, you know, I remember when we did the shows where uh, whatever that gentleman's club that was, like, under the bridge. You remember that place? Um, I think we had, so. like, like, strippers came out in the ring the one time and gave out coupons or some shit at the <laughs> arena. Yeah. I can't remember what the place is called, but, like, I remember, you know, we all had to go over there. It was it was one of those deals where, like, oh, if you want to get paid, you got to go and get paid over there. You have to get all the workers mm-hmm. to go. And I'm like, me and Chris had a really good conversation there. Like, a really, you know, nice, fucking normal, like, you know, uh, you're getting married soon, that's great, you know. Like, yeah, you're buying, oh, you're buying the house in National Park, that's fucking awesome, like, this shit's going well, you know. And we're like, really cool, but then you, you know, have to work him on a show, and he was a con. I I just don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, Do you think he got more difficult uh, as he got bigger, or... He was way more difficult the second time he came back because he had us over the barrel. You know, that was last minute. Um, Verdi's not coming to the show. He's done. You know, we no longer have turn acid. This is, was that best of the best? That happened, the Justice Pain return? Possibly. I know it was a relatively big show. But it was, you know, Chris is gone, we're fucked. Or, I'm sorry, Trent's gone, we're fucked. Justice Payne's coming back. And basically, you will now do what he says. 
So, and that didn't last. It didn't last. Right. I don't think he was there for much longer. Like, I remember him having, uh, having just, you know, issues with Messiah. Like, not, you know, stupid shit. Like, he would, like, he just wouldn't work with him out there. I mean, you can look mm-hmm. at it on on videos and see where they're, you know, they're shooting on each other. You know, and, and you know, Billy's putting fists to his head. You know, trying to trying to wise him up. It's just just good, man. Yeah. Um, you know, um, over the years of training guys, uh, you know, trained Cash and GQ and Ian Knox. Um, what was was your style of training different than the guys, you know, who trained you, or you know, what, what was your your method of training? Um, I would hope that I did Mike Sharp proud. As mm-hmm. far as like training the way he trained us, uh, I'm real good at explaining things. At, at, as far as like te- teaching, um, you know, I'd, I'd make the guys explore every angle of a hold and try to get them to understand why they were doing stuff instead of just doing right. it. So, I mean, I, I was, you know, real hands on and. and uh, I would if I didn't know something, like I would go out and learn it so they could learn it. You know, uh, I would incorporate um, some some judo into stuff, show them how to work holds like that. I would tell them how to protect themselves. You know, if they were getting shot on, I'd show them where to hit guys. You know, stuff stuff like that so they could you know protect themselves. I, I try to instill you know being cool in the locker room, like shaking everybody's hand and all that. Um. So, I mean, yeah, I, I would say my style was similar to the way I was trained and then um, more updated on, on some of the things that I taught the guys. Right. <clears throat> what was um, – what's your opinion on the, the Bill DeMott situation as a guy who actually trained people? Um, I was not – you know, I can't speak for what happened there because you're—I only hear secondhand, just like everybody else. Sure. Um, I never, as far as I know. I mean, I yes, I've lost my temper on people. I have, and I've yelled at them. I'm not gonna lie. I have never went out of my way to hit someone that I knew was hurt. Um, that's just not my method. You know, I've made guys cry and felt very bad about it, and then you know, profusely apologize. Um. But yeah, that's that whole bully shit. Like when I played hockey and all that, you know, you had coaches that did that, and mm-hmm. I just never agreed with that style. Um, I don't think they, re- I, I don't think anyone respects that. I mean, I don't know about you. Someone talks down to me, you know, I, I immediately am going to shut my brain off. And first sure. shot I have to get back at you, I'm taking it. Sure. So that's just the way I am. So maybe that's why I didn't teach like that. You know, I mean, there's – I've fired a few pucks into the bench. <clears throat> no no doubt about it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Tesla got myself thrown out of things, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if someone comes at you hard like that, they're just going to shut down. And, you know, you're not going to be able to teach them. So I, I try and not do that. But, you know, in the same token, yes, I, I have lost my temper more than once. And it was over stupid stuff. It would be like – you know, not always stupid stuff. If somebody hurt somebody, I got mad. You know, doing something dumb. Mm-hmm. 
but, you know, like, there wasn't a lot of, you know, fraternity kind of crap where we were goofing on people, you know. Um, I know it was hard the last couple of groups of students I had at CCW because by that point um, I wasn't getting paid when I got paid to train the guys before, so I wasn't there as often. I'd went Correct. from at one point, at one point I was five days a week in that school. Uh, then we had boiled it down to four, um, and then three, and then there came a point where they linked up with the Chikara school, and our days became limited to two. And I was not getting paid the same to be there mm-hmm. as often. So that's kind of how DJ and uh, plus I had actually had to take a job um, working somewhere else. So my time wasn't even as limited. And that's kind of how DJ came into the picture. You know, it was essentially kind of a thing. We needed a guy that I could be there and unlock the doors. Right, know, right. We had other other trainers before him. Like I think initially, I think initially it was like a me day and then like a John day. And then at one point, um, I want to say Joker had a day that was like, that was the, you know, the not me day. But then when, at the end, when it came down to the me day and then the DJ day, um, our styles were different. Like drastically, like, I don't know where, you know, being the guy who trained him, I don't know where he picked up his habits. Like, I, I know he trained a little bit at Chikara for a while with mm-hmm. Zero and them. So maybe they did that kind of stuff. I never saw Chris do, like, any of the goofy nickname stuff. But, you know, like, I remember the first day walking in, you know, with uh, the Gacy, Slater, um, Hagen, Adam Cole, that whole crowd, Alex Cohen right. and all and they're introducing themselves to me, and they're giving me these fucking stupid names. He's like, oh, DJ calls me punk, and, you know, uh, DJ calls me baby face. I'm like, what? Like, what are your fucking names, you assholes? <laughs> <Yeah. It's> like, <laughs> I'm not going to uh, roll with these stupid nicknames, you know? Like, All right. tell me your names. And then, like, you know, they would do crazy stuff. Like, they would do a bridge and then wait for someone to walk on their while their neck is in the mat. I'm like, why would you do that? You know, so there was a lot of, it was a lot of coming in the next day and fixing. You know, oh, we did this, you know, well, like, why did you go up and over the corner, you know, like a girl? Like, you you go, you know, they go chest first and low and then kind of slide their legs over. Well, that's how we were showed. Well, who showed you? Well, he just showed us. Well, why did he do it like that? That's how he does it. Okay, well, you know, that's not how it's done. You, know, you go, you run towards the corner, you plant your hands, you flip yourself up, you change your grip, you land on the apron so your hands are ready to spring back in. You know, mm-hmm. hug the turnbuckle and slide over. I don't know where you learned that, but that's, you know, it was a little little things like that. Like, you know, we're putting the wrong, the wrong leg forward on a snapmare. You know, like, why are you doing that? Well, then we were just showed that yesterday. Well, that's wrong. You know, it's probably confusing to them. Sure. But, uh, so, I mean, that was a challenge. And then it just got to the point where, like, you know, the money was less and less. And then it was almost like you're doing it as a favor, you know. And then it was like, 
why am I here? Right. You know, this is taking up a great amount of time, and you're being worked against as far as, like, you know, trying to teach things. So mm-hmm. I just told John, like, when I'll come the- in when you want me to and do some stuff, but, you know, I'm done with the school for now. <laughs> Yeah. When did the uh, tide seem to completely change where, it, you know, you saw Zandig really slipping away from CZW because it was said that, you know, for a while he was kind of losing his, uh, his desire to do it? Um, 100% after Cash died. Yeah. You know, and that was all of us. I mean, all of us that knew Chris. You know, uh, obviously John knew him the best. I don't know if, you know, John's son, John Jr., um mm-hmm. Him and Chris were best friends. You right. Know, John looked at Chris as another son. As a matter of fact, you know, there was a part of John that was always really proud of Cash when he wrestled because uh, John Jr., uh, Johnny, we'll call him, you know, wanted to wrestle, but, you know, Johnny also had other stuff he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, like, and it was funny is John Jr., has probably one of the stupidest fucking thing that the kid's got one of the best arm tricks ever and he's not in the business. Like, <laughs> you know, he can bump and shit. Yeah, he would come down, like, even when he was a little kid. You know, like, uh, God, I'm trying to think. He probably was like 13 when I first met him. And he'd come down to the school and do bumps, and the kid, you know, would have been a natural had he wanted to wrestle, but he obviously didn't want to. You know, he had other ambitions. Right. So Cash did, and they were so close. You know, I think always a part of John always looked at at Chris as, as you know almost a son, and Cat, Chris Cash. Right. And then when you know Cash died, you know, fucking horrible motorcycle accident of all things. Like you don't expect that when someone's so young. And sure. I, I just, I just think every time John walked into that building, and you know, especially like we did the tribute show, which was horrible. Not, I'm not saying the work rate or anything. It was, hor- it was horrible to be there. It was just sad. Sure. You know, it was awful. I was devastated. I, you know, I wanted to leave. Uh, I loved Chris, like a little brother. You know, we went fishing together and all that shit. And, you know, him, he, him and Eddie were roommates. You know, I saw the kid all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. And I called him Junior. That was his nickname. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, he, uh, him going really it wiped a lot of us out. It you know Trent and Johnny uh I think I think Johnny had already been gone by then. And I think I think they came back. I don't remember. That's the only show I've ever done drunk. I never wow. once stepped between the ropes. Not of sound mind, but that day I didn't even want to wrestle and then I did want to wrestle. And the whole day was bad. And I think I, I think me and Ian Knox and George, who was George, was also he was Cash's best friend. You know, they those two closer than anyone could have been. There's another kid that never wrestled, this kid Baker, that was, you know, Ash Baker lives a couple streets down from me. And uh he was you know, he was Cash's roommate at one point and they another one, they went to school together and you know, it was just it was this whole young group of guys who lost you know, we lost the guy that was funny. The the guy that was that was fun and kind of the life of our group. Right. You know. And you know, the whole 
everyone that was in house CZW guys just felt it so hard. And yeah. at that at that point, you know, something changed in John there after that, and I don't think he was ever really the same. There were shows he wouldn't show up. Yeah. You'd yeah, no, yeah. you you know, it was like rumors that he was gonna be there. You know, and I'm not talking like rumors with the fans, like you know, I'm talking rumors like oh, you know, I heard John's gonna show up tonight. You know, he's supposed to be here before the main. He's gonna be here before the show. And he wouldn't show mm-hmm. up. And then he's gonna be here at intermission. He's running late. You know, and, and everyone's asking, You heard John, have you heard tonight? No. And then sometimes he would even just show up in the parking lot. Like there were a couple of times where I saw his truck out in the parking lot, and then I would just see it turn around and leave. Wow. And it was just, yeah, it was crazy. But, I mean, that, I think that was the beginning of what killed it for him. And then once, and, and I don't think it was that he didn't care about CW, and he, he didn't, you know, not care about the fans. I think it was just rough for him to be there at that point. You know? Right. I, I don't know... You know, what he carries around in his mind, what, like if he could have done something, you know, I, I just, I don't know what his mindset on that would be, but, you know, it definitely, he changed after that. After, after Chris passed and after we got through the benefit show, uh, within like the next year is when it just all started going weird with John not showing up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, we lost a lot in a short period of time. We lost sure. TV, Japan, and cash within six months, I think, mm-hmm. of each other. Or, no, no. We, we, we lost cash in, what, 05, right? Yeah, I think, I think that was 05. Trying to, it's, it's, yeah, it's so hard to get it all straight since... <laughs> I know we lost TV in Japan and, you know, and then cash. And that was like just that whole string of events was just awful. And then, and then you just had the weirdness of like, who's in charge, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think John ever put anyone in charge. I think people put themselves in charge and right. it caused a lot of chaos. You know, it's like I did, uh, did you see the CCW roundtable thing that they filmed? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That I did. Like, okay. Yeah. All of those guys on there, with the exception of Mike Burns, who I remember we were told at one point by John in the locker room that he was the booker. I don't ever remember any of those guys being like, like, I don't ever remember John coming to us and being like, okay, this guy right here is the booker. Right. You know, with the exception of Burns. I remember, Mm -hmm. like, I vividly remember that, like, you know, this is Burns, and he's going to help us run stuff. And, you know, he's your booker. And that was like, you know, when Burns came on, we had stuff actually written down at certain points. Um, I remember when Gargiulo was doing some booking, which actually was probably the stuff you liked. Uh, right. But I don't I don't know if he was, like, the booker per se or if he was just, you know, if it was known that he was helping John out. I can't remember how that went down. But, like, like all those guys at that round table. So, I mean, at that point, it was a bunch of other people playing with other people's money. Right. You know? And, of course, yeah. there's going to be conflict because nobody ever told us you were in charge. Like, like uh, right. uh, Derek Spada 
he just kept going yeah. on and on about F John and that. And I'm like, dude, like, honestly, like, I don't want to hurt his feelings, but we were told he was just a stooge. That we were directly told. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, it, like he's, it, we were told he was the booker or anything, and he's like going on in that thing, like he's saying how he developed ulcers and stuff, and I'm like, bro, indie wrestling. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> you know how yeah. hard it was to keep a straight face during that. Oh, I, I mean, I could kind of read it. Uh, I mean, from watching that, I. I don't know. Like I, I had no knowledge of what he actually was backstage or anything. I just, I got Nobody the vibe. He was him. just like a, yeah. I, I just had this vibe. He was just like a self entitled douchebag, and the look on your face through half that thing was like he wanted to say so much more to him, but uh, <laughs> you know. Well, you know, at that point, we it took us like twelve hours to film that thing, and I, <laughs> I just wanted to get out of there. Yeah, I mean, I had fun doing it, but man, he's going on and on. He's like, oh. I ended up in the hospital, and I'm like, bro, I made money there, and that shit didn't happen. Like, <laughs> yeah. I remember John being short on pay one time because he ended up having to pay something else, and, you know, he was going to get me later that week, and, and I really needed that cash at that point. But I knew yeah. he was good for it, so I didn't make a big deal. I didn't go home and, like, fucking have a heart palpitation over it. This dude's, like, having heart palpitations and fucking, you know, he's checking himself in the fucking wrestling rehab. <laughs> yeah, he said John it's called him so much, he has anxiety meltdown. I was like, okay. Yeah, like, <laughs> turn your phone off. He's probably doing that shit for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <my> shit. <laughs> he, he was a kind of serviceable ref, if I recall. Uh, yeah, at this. And then he had the story about, uh, what was the story about Nick Gage, like, throwing him down or some shit? He was going to fight him? Oh, yeah, he, he was, was going to embarrass him in front of all the fans. But uh, yeah. he thought better of it. <laughs> yeah, Holy he thought better of it because he didn't want to die that night. This guy doesn't own any mirrors, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, I was like, man, are you, are you crazy? Like, I've never heard that before in my life. You, you were going to throw it out and fight with Nicky in the middle of a match? If you mess with Nick yeah. Gage when he's in character mode out in front of that crowd, he'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine. <laughs> he, yeah. He, he might apologize to you, Asker, but, I mean, you know, we would see what the inside of your skin looked like because he would rip you in half. <laughs> yeah. And the crowd would chant one more time for half of it, so good luck with that shit. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was crazy. I don't know what that guy was thinking. Like... But, uh, yeah, it was – but, I mean, it, to the point, like, that's the kind of craziness we dealt with in the back. You mm-hmm. guys thinking that, that we were never told in charge. But, I mean, you saw how serious that dude took it. And I know, like, I was told at one point um, that Greg was doing some – helping some booking, I guess, when Sammy was there in the DJ era. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that to me, probably a little more legitimate because, you know what, DJ probably said, hey, you know, this is Greg. And he's going to be helping me booking. Listen to him. Yeah, we never got things like that from John. Right. It was... John never wanted to be a bad guy either. That was another problem we ran into. So, like, you know, if it, if there was an odd booker that, that was causing havoc and you'd go to John with it, he'd be like, well, just fucking tell him no. I didn't tell him he could do that. Tell him I said so. So there was a lot of that, too. 
you know. But yeah, that whole after Chris died and then the hodgepodge of mysterious bookers, yeah, things things start getting bad at that point. Yeah. What um there was a certain point where um actually again like I said as a fan I was always boggled by why you never got the push and at one point or another they put you over Toby Klein and it was like to me it was just like such a huge win and I'm like they put him over a guy who who's been a pop like holy shit like it was it was bigger than it, it actually should have been to me because I, I was like wow is this, is this it <laughs> are they actually gonna push this fucking guy um and you know what happened there. Um, that was Toby's idea, and you know I thank Toby for that. That was I remember him saying he wanted to put me over, him and Billy Graham and and Dylan, uh, mm-hmm. you know they were real cool with shit like that. And I'm like, I even told him like, eh, I don't need to go over on you. I'll be like, you're, you know, you're Toby. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, bro, let's fucking do this shit. And then, uh, yeah, and you know what? I think like Burns might have uh, might have been on board with that too, honestly. You know, I didn't always get along well with Mike all the time, but he liked me. You know, and I liked him. Like, he liked my work. Um, mm-hmm. I had a lot of good stuff with Joker, you know. Uh, and I, I can't remember if that was Eric or Mike. that, But it might have been Mike that booked that, too. Well, maybe Mike Burns was my good book, my best booker then. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I mean, I, I was working. Uh, there was even a time when me and DJ were teamed. I don't remember who put us together. Um and I remember we worked Necro and Toby. And I like that match, too. Mm-hmm. So for me and Necro did the fucking, uh, the, what did we do? We did something to a bunch of chairs that hurt me. Didn't Well, it didn't hurt, but, you know, like, I felt the fuck out of it the, the way we landed. And right. I know Necro had to feel the same shit. And I'm like, oh, man, I think I just fucked up with that. Because I, I, that's cool, man. You'll be all right. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> we, oh, we did a Russian leg sweep off the apron through, a, like, a giant stack of chairs mm. on the floor. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was probably not one of the wisest things I did, but, you know, I mean, I did it. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was cool. Looked good on tape. It was like when I dropped the elbow on GQ from the top to the floor, and I cracked my head. <laughs> yeah, it was dumb. <laughs> it looks fucking awesome, though. Yeah. Right up until I had to stand. Yeah, I think your your hip had bruised before the match was over. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I did that. I body slammed him on the on the floor, and the month before I had done it off the second rope to the floor on top of Greg Matthews, who's much bigger than uh, mm-hmm. GQ, and I had landed mostly on Greg and probably you know probably made him suit a little bit, which you know which probably I probably shouldn't have done, but right. It, it happened. Yeah, we had a decent batch anyway. But when I did it to George, I hit it perfect. You know, like, elbow over the face, looked like I murdered him, it made an awesome noise, and I hit displaced. And he fucking couldn't. I couldn't stand it. I felt it come out and then go back in, and then it was like the whole one side of my leg and, and hip and groin were on fire. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> and then I roll back in the ring and we finished the match and I think I did the rest of the match at like half speed like I can't even run yeah. and I was trying to do do the, the uh, Rikisha hip bump in the corner and I set him up and I go do that and I come flying and I hit the thing I'm like oh my god oh my god I just want to die 
Yeah. So, um, so it really wasn't even a conscious decision to push you when you went over Toby. It was just kind of a circumstance with, with Toby wanting to do it and maybe a little bit of booking in your direction, but no long-term yeah, plan. I, I mean, it, it seemed like Mike, Mike had a lot of ideas. Like there was even one time where it had been put to me to be Larry Sweeney's bodyguard. Uh-huh. And we were going to, do you remember that Frankie the mobster guy? Mm-hmm. At yep. some point, we were going to do something with him. And then I think those two ended up being put together, and I ended up being an odd man out. But, I mean, there was always a lot of ideas put forward, and I don't know who was squashing them, but some, somebody squashed some. But then, like, you know, then I would have a tag run, you know, and I'd win the belt. Yeah. Like, that was my model. <laughs> so I just always rolled with it. Yeah. There were shows what was your... before, got paid and didn't even work. Wow. That's crazy. Um, yeah. What was I, your feeling pretty sweet the deal. end of the guys? Because uh, I know, I, you know, Zandig's comments was, you know, the, the fat kid with the Mr. Wrestling shirt with the kid's name. <laughs> he, he clearly wasn't a huge fan of them. And I think uh, Justice Payne didn't like them much. But um, what was your feelings on the Canada guys? I liked them. I liked Remy. I liked uh, Kevin. I, I we got to work them um, in one of the Chikara World Tag Leagues of all fucking places, and I think that mm-hmm. was the only time I worked for Chikara. No, that's not true. I did two nights for him, and it was weird. Like I didn't. It's not my style. But we did me and DJ as Team CZW. I think. I, mm-hmm. I think that was the name they gave us. We worked uh, Niles and Corey Castle. In the first round, and then in the second round, we worked Steen and Generico, and the match was awesome. We loved that. I always liked talking to those guys. You know, they were always real cool. Uh, the first group of Canadians that I remember, Kitty Hart and all of them, um, that yeah. whole thing was good. Like, never had a problem with Steen and Generico. I, I liked them. I thought, actually, Steen, I was like, oh, my God, this guy's doing all my stuff. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, he was cool, and I wasn't allowed to do it, so someone had to do it. And he had a moon yeah. I didn't do that anymore. So, yeah, I mean, they, they were good. And, like, I want, you know, I wanted to work with them. And I, I got to work with them, which was cool. But, yeah, the first the first group of Canadians was weird because John had a habit of working the boys sometimes with certain angles. Mm-hmm. Like, and there was, like, all this talk about, you know, Teddy Hart was supposed to be here up in Allentown and he's fucking not going to show up and this and that. And then, oh, he's here, and there was, like, some argument in the back, but it wasn't a real argument. And then right. they go up to the ring, and they do some run-ins, and John's like, go get those motherfuckers, and let's get them, like, let's go fuck kill. I go, and I punch fucking Jack Evans in the head. <laughs> I, punch, I punch him in the head as we're throwing him out the door, because I thought we were shooting, you know? Like, I thought they were out there fucking uh, whoever it was. out. I don't know if it was Trent or Flash or somebody. But, you know, it was like one of those deals where John sent the locker room out, like, get those motherfuckers. And and then I get in the back, and they're all in the back. And they're all talking and checking out like this, motherfucker. <laughs> so, but you know what? Nobody ever said anything to me. I walked up, gave the kid his hat back, you know, <laughs> shook his hand. I don't think he knows it was me that punched him, but he knows now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I thought that shit was a shoot. <laughs> and they all told me. I was out back fucking talking to Joker. Yeah, I was wow. I was talking to Joker and Sabian, and then everyone's yelling to get out there and shoot on these guys, and we did. 
<laughs> I felt like a total <laughs> asshole. But yeah, that those guys. Uh, I think Petey Williams was part of that group too. Yeah, it was Petey, Petey Jack, and and Teddy. But I remember them not hanging around and didn't really have a lot of interaction with them. And not because you know, not because like they weren't cool or anything. Just you know, they came in and they did their thing. And I, I think a lot of times back then they double shot it too. I think they would like go mm-hmm. up and do either do us first and then leave and go do, do Jersey All Pro or vice versa. Right. So, yeah, yeah. But with like Steven and Generico, uh, you know, Sexy Eddie, Frankie the Mobster, um, Jenny, uh, um, you know, Lufistu, uh, God, who else was in that group? Beef. Yeah, they were mm-hmm. all super cool. Beef was really cool. Love having Beef falling yeah. to the locker room. Loved having him in the locker room. Loved that he came out to Nichols with us after. You know, they were all just really good guys. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously, you know, Generico and Steen were just incredible workers. And, you know, Sex City was a really good worker. I don't think yeah. he got a lot of his due because he did a lot of the hardcore stuff. But, I mean, he, he could do some cool shit. You know, and he was over as fuck with the crowd. Sure. Yeah. It was um, kind of an odd, think- misplaced gimmick. Do you think it was a bad idea when they introduced the tournament of death in the CZW? Do you think it was oversaturation of the death matches? Um, no. Because it was separate. Anything? I thought it was going to be like a turn to to where we did less and then built like to the tournament of death. But, you know, you had some years, depending on how the commission felt about us, where you just did everything and then did the TOD. But honestly, like, there's a lot of TODs I didn't even go to. That would right. be the one show I would sit out, you know, because I knew I wasn't going to work, you know. I right. think I did – I worked on one – one, I worked as a referee for – God, I can't even remember. The match was dumb. It was like Sanjay and this Thai Smiley guy and then some of the students, and I think there might have been, like, some attempt at an angle where I was, like – you know, trying to force the students to do something with these guys, like like run them out or something. I, I don't know. I remember doing that. That was at some place in Delaware. And then there was another TOD I went to, and I think we did a tag match. And then it just became to the point where, like, John started cutting the match, the other matches from the tournament because they just weren't even worth it because nobody was going there for that. You know, so right. no matter what you did, like – I could go out and like, oh, look at this. I'm doing a fucking 450 today just because. And no one would even care. They're like, oh, did you hear Dr. Darwin did a 450? Like, now it's because he's chanting boring or we want blood. So, (laughs) yeah, I just stopped going to those shows. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it didn't, I could literally take another booking that day. And, you know, I was not missed from the card at all. But, I mean, it it sold, you know. It made, those shows made money. So, you need them. Mm-hmm. Like so, I, I never begrudged that, and you know, and a lot of those like Pondo, Necro, Toby, uh, Marvin, you know, a lot of those guys are my friends, and that was their time to shine. Yeah, know? yeah. So I, I didn't mind that stuff. Um, uh, with DJ, I mean, you went from you know training him to obviously you said there was a big uh, disconnect between when he started training and having a correct you know, what was going on here or there. Um, what was your relationship with DJ, you know, throughout? Like, how did it change? Or... 
I never had a problem with him to my face. You know? To your I, face. <laughs> yeah, I, we went to Atlantic City together. You know, uh, we spent New Year's Eve together with our girlfriends one year. Um, you know, he used to come to my house all the time. He'd come work out with uh, me and Bill and Nell. Yeah, he'd ride the shows with us. And then at one point, like, he just, it got to, and I don't think it was so much with me. Like, I mean, you know, I don't really have a problem with him now. I just, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. we don't really talk. If I see him, I'm nice to him and he's nice to me. But, like, towards the end, like, you know, I would have, like, students and shit come up to me and be like, oh, DJ was saying this stuff. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, that's not true. You know, I've never fucking done anything. It, it's kind of one of those things, uh, I mean, in my opinion, where someone knows you and, you know, you can't bullshit certain people. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't sling the bullshit if someone's around that knows you're lying. All right. So, yeah, maybe he wanted to get rid of me for that. Like, he tells, uh, I want to say he tells people I was fired or he fired me. But that never happened either. When I left my right. firm, Booker, uh, the last show I did was a four way. Or, was it a four way? It was me, Ryan Slater, Little Mondo, and somebody else. The four way. Decent match. It was taped for their their wired TV when it was on that uh, when they bought infomercial time and were using it for a television show. Mm-hmm. Right. And the next month, Burns had told me he was going to start pushing me on something, but that the next month they didn't have anything for me, and they would the month after. And then I think that next month is when Burns left. So that next month, I went. I took another booking. I took two, actually. I did WPW out in Reading and then Atomic out in Stevens, or Denver at the time. And, uh, yeah, and then just, I, I basically told, you know, I, I told, like, like, let me know when you got, and I'm going to take a booking next month if you don't have anything for me. And then I just never went back. Right. And nobody ever called me. And then I just kind of heard through the grapevine that, uh, you know, that I was no longer needed. I was like, oh, oh, that sucks. What are you going to do? You know, I think hmm. once, once Burns was gone, I think, you know, <laughs> there was no one to book me. You know, and I've right. I've had people like, oh, when are you going to go back? When are you going to go back? You know, and I've had the, the backdoor booking where they, you know, they have someone they know I'm friends with ask me to show up, you know. And, yeah. just, you know, because I would, I would see DJ at, like, Force One and shit, you know. He'd be like, oh, I come down to the school, this and that. Yeah, I just didn't care. There's no skin in the game for me there. Yeah. You know, I go work other shows, make actually more, you know, off the name that I built there, and, you know, pretty much do whatever. That's like when people are like, oh, man, like, how is it to work so-and-so? Was that, like, the greatest thing? And I'm like... I never really thought of them as, like, a name. Like they, they were kind of like a peer, you know? Like, right. big matches to me were, like, when I got to work the Bushwhackers when I broke in or, you know, when I got to work Jimmy Snuka, when I got to work Bob Backman, when I got to work the Iron Sheep, when I got to work Demolition Axe or, you know, mm-hmm. Shane Douglas and Vito and, and guys like that. Like, 
that was cool stuff for me. You're kind of like, wow, you like, I watched these guys, you know, when I was growing up. Like, right. So, guys that watch me, like, I, mean, I think they're good. And I loved having matches with certain guys. Like, you know, like, I liked working, uh, me and Hero, I think. I think we worked once or twice with CCW. And I always liked working here because we would work out at the school, too. And I liked working mm-hmm. out from there. And, yeah, I had fun, but it wasn't like I can sit all week. I'm working Chris Hero this week. This is going to be the greatest day of my life. You know, maybe now. Right. But now I'd be like, Cassio Soto, I'm all in. You know, I think he's phenomenal. There's, there's mm-hmm. a guy that so many people dropped the ball on. Yeah. I'll never understand why they released him. Right. Um, so, I mean, did it more or less become not, not a big deal that you weren't at CZW because it was such a gradual decline? Or, you know, because, I mean, you had such a big part of CZW over the time, I would think it, you know, would either impact you in some way that you're no longer needed, as as they say, or like yeah, I, it was I just mean, like gradual enough. More, yeah, I guess it was gradual because more or less, most of the people that I was friends with and enjoyed working were gone. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. I loved working. Nick Burke, Burke was gone. Burke was gone. I think right. before I was gone. You know, I loved working uh, Joker. You know, Bill had left, and you know he was doing the army thing and and starting a family. He was gone. I mean, Sabian was gone for a while. He's back there now. Um, you know, and Flash wasn't there. Danny Rose wasn't there. You know, Trent and Johnny weren't there. George and Chris weren't there. And, you know, I mean, it came to a point where Nikki wasn't there anymore. Right. So, I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, kind of companies change, you know, and they bring in new guys. Like, like even now... Sure. You know, I, I think uh, some of the struggles that they had getting to where they were now was, was trying to build these young guys without any of the old guys being around. Mm-hmm. And not because it was, you know, not because they weren't good enough or whatever. It was more because I think when we were there, um, a lot of those guys, not that they didn't get a fair shake and that they were held down because they were young and they were learning. It was just more mm-hmm. that the way they were presented to the fans. Like, how many times can you go back and watch those old tapes, you know? And I'm talking, like, when when Adam Cole's coming in and, and uh, Ty Higgins coming in and Joe Gacy and Ryan Slater and Alex Colon and, and even Niles and Corey Castle. How many times on commentary do they call those guys students? Right. For, like, for like two or three years, they're calling Drew Gulak a student. Stop right. it. He's not a student. Now look at him. I mean, that stuff's all but forgotten now. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, commentators aren't going to call him a student anymore. But it took a long time to get that change, and it was just, you know, it was dumb to do that to him. Yeah. And, and I think we presented a lot of guys like that back in the day. Like, okay, oh, John Dahmer's going to work this student. And then, you know, they'd put me over, and that didn't help them. You know, I mean, yeah, they would learn... Yeah, you know, learn stuff from working men. You know, I looked good working them, and they gave me you know good bumps, and you know I let them hit their finishers or whatever. But mm-hmm. still, on commentary, they're getting hammered as they're new. And some of these guys have been there like two years. Like, at what point do you stop being new? Now they're kind of in that sweet spot where they're not calling guys that anymore. You know, right. so 
so the stigma's off those guys. I mean, every, every company grows, and I, I just think they've grown into a different time now. Yeah. Do, do you think, too, CZW now has a hard time finding its identity? Because back then, there weren't as many indies, and it was easier to have a core roster and your CZW guys. For now, everybody's everybody's guys. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's the big problem with, with independence in general. You know, it's... Uh, I don't think it's a CZW unique problem. You know, to a hardcore CZW fan, yeah, like, like I, they can sit there and go, I don't know why people aren't, you know, more into this guy or why they're not coming out to all these shows. And it basically boils down to, you know, uh, we'll just we'll call a guy the Mass Phantom. We'll say, okay, the Mass Phantom's working CZW this weekend, and he's wrestling, you know, the Green Hornet. But those tickets are thirty dollars. And next weekend, that same two guys are wrestling each other at on point. It's ten dollars, and not only is it ten dollars, it's twenty minutes away. So I think there's right. a lot of oversaturation, and you know. And if you look back at, at, uh, at my career, I didn't when I worked with CCW, I didn't work the other indies around close to it. I would yeah. go down south or up north or way out in western Pennsylvania and worked, you know, when I wasn't working CCW because it was different for them. Whereas, like, you know, I didn't want to hurt our business. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I'm not talking about the wrestling business. I didn't want to hurt John's money business. But, like, like, even me and Eddie went out and defended the tag titles at other shows, you know, like out in, like, State College PA and stuff. And, yeah. yeah. But we wouldn't do it, like... You know, I'm trying to think of even like another company that was around back then that was close to it. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't have done it for, you know, like NWA, New Jersey or something like, ten minutes from where we normally were. And right. Just, but now, now guys just do everything. Mm-hmm. Look how many shows run yeah. in the same building. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there was a time when ECWA, uh, what was it? What was his other company TWA? And then CZW were running back-to-back-to-back at the skate town. Yeah. Well, of course you're going to see a decline because two of those matches would have Adam Cole and Sammy Taylor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And yes, good matches. The same, you know, even if they don't do the same spots, it's the same thing, really. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I really just think that's one of the main things that's hurting them. I don't think it's anybody's, you know, work rate or... You know, they don't do this anymore. They don't do that. I think it's just a lot of overexposure. It's a lot mm-hmm. of oversaturation. There's so many companies. If you look at, like, the roster of On Point, and you look at the roster of CCW, and you look at, like, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe, would say? Beyond. Yeah, Beyond, uh, you know, PWS, or Jersey All-Pro. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the same matches. Yeah, uh, one that mm-hmm. one that sticks out. Um, I think isn't CCW doing uh, Joe Gacy and that Joe Janela kid and Best of the Best or something? Yeah, or maybe they're just both in it. But the matches happened like two or three times for like NYWC and for On Point. It's happened, and they're counting on yeah. that same audience. It's a hard sell. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and it's not a knock to their work because obviously people want to see the matches because they're good, but people have already seen them, and, and then you run the risk of running that match 
and the people that have already seen it aren't going to be up for it. And if it's a good number, your crowd, it's going to take the energy away from the people who haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, someone's not that certain yeah. chant if they're the only one. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of oversaturation. A lot of guys, you know, and I mean, I get it. You want to work. You want to make money. You want to get your name out there. But also, in this day and age, with such oversaturation, you maybe got to pick your bookings a little better and space yourself out so you're a little bit more of an attraction when you come in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and do you think, um, because CZW did have such an identity back then, and, uh, you know, the fans that were loyal, the, the fans like me who were, who were there every single month, I mean, it's hard to transition to what CZW is now. And, I mean, it. you know, I've, I've accepted it, and I can go back and watch the old stuff, and, and that's still what that was. But it's kind of a weird move to buy a company but then kind of do your own thing with it when it had an identity. I mean, what do you think about that as far as uh, – you know, DJ buying the company more or less for the fan base that you will then kind of do your own thing with. Mm. Well, there might have been an initial mishandling of mm-hmm. him taking the company over. Because, uh, and you might be able to see this a little more clearly because you're, you know, because you were a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, did I'll, I'll ask you this. Did you feel at a point angry with John Zandig. Did you almost look at him as like a mystic man and blame him like these got you know, these shows aren't good because he's being stubborn and he won't do this and he won't do that and you know, did you did you feel yourself buying into politics more than the shows mm. or feeling like he wasn't like he didn't care? You know what I mean? No. Not with Zandig. Zandig it just he had won himself over so far with fans, I I think that, um, you know, because even as a wrestler, he was so over. I mean, that guy hit the ring, that guy grabbed the mic. I don't ever remember anyone saying boring or shut the fuck up ever when Zandig had, you know, <laughs> control of things. I, I would I would see it online, like, you know, like on the message boards and shit like that. Right. And then you'd hear a little bit. There was like this negative thing against John for a little bit, I felt. You know, and maybe it wasn't so much John. Maybe they were negative against the whole company. Yeah, and then when DJ made that, when he when he bought the company and John had to sell it, um, it felt like he missed an opportunity to to address the fans and say, flip it around, like say, I know you haven't gotten what you wanted from CCW, and now I took this company over to give it to you. He, he should have come on as a face instead of buying the company and then the next month doing his heel character. Mm, yeah, it was like. It was like, pull back the curtain. You now see that I'm running it. Close the curtain and forget about that, and I'm going to come out and be the bad guy. When yeah. he could have turned himself. And, you know, part of it could have been, you know, and like I can't speak to what was in his mind. I can only speculate. Maybe he didn't want to feel, he didn't want, had the feeling like he bought the company just to put himself over, which to do, to do that, to be the fan-friendly guy, there would have been a level of having to to put himself over as a face mm-hmm. and kind of be endeared to the fans. And maybe he yeah. didn't want to do that, you know, from a career standpoint. He didn't want, like, you know, maybe just thinking about, like, politic-wise. Like, he didn't want people to be like, oh, he just bought the company to put himself over. 
So maybe that's yeah. why he went the direction he did. But I just feel like if he had embraced the fans, and, and kind of what like WWE does now, um, you know, with the whole the whole nonsense reality area where like they put all this stuff out on social media, and you know they leak all these little stories about politics and everything. Everyone gets so mad at like you know this and that, and then when they come out, and they do give you something. You're like, yeah, fuck yeah, he's doing what we want. That's awesome, you know. Yeah. And you know it's. It's confusing, but goddamn, if it doesn't work, how many people now say, like, how many people now put the blame at Vince's feet? You know, like, man, if they would just let Triple H run Raw the way he runs NXT. <laughs> and right. that's exactly what they want, because you watch. In six months, NXT will be coming to the same towns, big indie towns, once a month. And those tickets will keep going up in price, and eventually people will stop going to all the little indies. And they'll go and pay $60 to sit and watch NXT and see your Sami Zayn's and your your Owens and, and all the guys that they really like, and they'll cherry-pick the NDs. And you won't miss a beat, and they'll take away the next level of territories. And everyone's going to welcome them with open arms when they do it. Yeah, they already uh, have a couple shows booked at the arena for May. So. Yeah, get yeah, two two nights in a row. Yeah. Two nights in a row, and, and mark my words, it'll come to the point where they're there either once a month or two times every other month. Yeah. And fans yeah. only have so much income to spend on shows. Sure. Yeah, that, that's hard. That's what, uh, you know, I know it's difficult, and um, I mean, maybe, you know, from your side of things, you could tell me what you feel the internet's done with uh, wrestling, but I think it's hard. It's a hard sell because all of these things become really, really available for fans. And, you know, you can go the thief route, you can go whatever, but if there's 10 different companies out there that a fan would like to see and you're talking $20 a ticket, I don't know how many people have that money. And then, you know, they can just go and, you know, torrent half of these things. It doesn't make it right, but it doesn't mean that, it's necessarily money that was going to be spent anyway. You know what I mean? It was either don't watch or go that route because there's just so much out there now. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll look at like when a WrestleMania comes. You know, a WrestleMania goes, and now there's 15 indie shows that weekend. Right. You know, and they all stand to make money. But, I mean, how much longer is that going to go on? WWE has now seen that market. They've seen it. Yeah, they're... They they know it's there. They want it. They've taken the people that they feel can can take the people away from those shows, and it's just going to keep going from there. And it's you know it's not bad. You can't begrudge them for being good business people. I would do it if I had that kind of company. But I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> it's going to suck and it's going to be rough. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, they're going to you know everyone who gets really good is going to get signed. And then you're just going to be left with with the rest. I, I don't think, you know, the Indies will ever die. But uh, they're definitely, if WWE goes ahead with this business model, where they're going to start rolling into all these little indie hotbed towns, it's it's going to hurt business. You know, it really yeah. is, and it's it's going to be hard to survive. And then you're going to have to look, you know, for something really different. Something really different is going to have to have to bring you on. I mean. You know, honestly, as a fan, like, if you have, you know, 
let's say you can get a seat for $30 at NXT, and they're going to mm-hmm. give you a Zayn Owens main event, and you're also going to get Cesaro's going to be on the show, and they're going to pepper it with Rhino, and maybe they tell you the Dudley boys are going to show up, you know, and then that same mm-hmm. night is like, you know, uh, just for example, for this area, we'll say that it's a CCW show. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to go? You know? All right. Yeah. That's tough. So do you think, um, I mean, saying what you're saying, it's very true. I mean, you're going to have to offer something that much more different. And, um, you know, if they did already cherry pick the, the Pox, the Genericos, the, I mean, the list goes on and on and, you know, potentially many, many more. Um, does that benefit the deathmatch scene? Because that's something that WWE, at least right now, is still not coming anywhere near. I mean, it may. It may, but you also got to remember, um, I don't know how old you are, but... Almost 37. Okay, so so you're, you and I are about the same age then. So okay. we're getting older, and mm-hmm. that fan base is getting older, and this new fan base is coming up on the network. And they're eventually, these little kids, as they get older and mature, are going to find the NXT and stuff like that. So the fan base is going to grow. So you're going to have to get these kids to be interested in death matches. All right. You're going to have to get it to them. The game changer, if an indie in this area wants to survive, and not even survive, if they want to come out on top and start making money and be the top guy, that you have to get TV. It's, yeah. It really is, and, you know, not internet TV and not buy pay-per-views. Like, you know, pay-per-view business, especially for, like, indies, it's nominal, you know. It's, it's not huge money. It's helpful money. And I'm not going to say it's free money because it costs money for infrastructure and all that. And there's certain companies that make it a, a decent amount. You know, and I'm not talking, you know, 20000 30000 You know, they might, like, make, like, two, three grand, you know, which is right. decent money when you're only running once a month. But if you get yourself real local TV, you know, just TV and just the markets that you promote it with a decent time slot, you can start running every week if you space your towns out, right? And you'll right. have uh, – people will be able to follow your storylines. I mean, how hard is it for you as a fan to come to shows once a month and follow a storyline? Yeah. I mean, I know you're a hardcore fan, you know, mm-hmm. like you – your way into it, but could you tell me like the top five storylines with guys in the company that you follow that only run once a month? Or does the day of the show, do you have to sit and think, trying to remember what happened last month, or maybe even like the week of the show, maybe you, you go and review the last show on online or, or on DVD or something? Yeah, also, it depends on how many companies you're following, yeah. Right, and you also, you know, if you're watching it live and not on tape or, you know, on TV or anywhere, you're also not getting the commentary that's going to be driving these storylines for these guys. So, right. you know, now it's got to rely, you got to sit through in-house promos, which, you know, admittedly are times hard to take, depending on the person or depending on the sound situation and stuff like that. So, you know, it's hard to follow these things. And sure. with, with TV, it cleans a lot of that mess up. You know, but nobody seems to be going after it. 
which is just to me just mind boggling. Like if I was running a company yeah. that'd be, you know, priority number one. Yeah, yeah, it's tough and like you said, uh WWE's gonna snatch up these names and use them for their NXT, which is their indie market. Uh, right. Right. I, I can only imagine they'd close on them that quicker if they saw actual threats even on local T V. Yeah, and I don't know if they would even I don't think they'd close it out so much. Uh, I think they'd maybe hyper focus on it, but they could use that T V to see who translates over better. There would be you know, if guys had T V like like you see a lot of these Ring of Honor guys that get signed. Well, they have T V and you know, you can see how they react in interview segments and how they translate on camera. You know, whereas mm-hmm. you don't get the you don't get the same from a DVD, you know, or a stream. Yeah, Ring of Honor's got really good, you know, fucking cameras. <laughs> yeah. so you can see how the you can see how these guys come out on T V already. It gives them a little bit of an edge to be seen. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, man. I mean, we've we've now covered about two and a half hours. I mean, I'm I, at this point. I really like to get you back and do like a part two because I mean, I could talk to you all night, and I, I got work tomorrow. So um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, is there anything else you want to put out there for this one? And then, like I said, I'd hopefully like to get you back in the future because there's tons more I could cover with you. Yeah, I definitely I'll, I'll come on whenever I'm available. Just let me know, and uh, if I'm free, I'll definitely come on. Um, I guess I could throw a plug out there. Can I do that? Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Whatever uh, you got, man. Yeah, uh, April 4th in Stevens, PA. I'll be at the Stevens Fire Hall uh, for Atomic Championship Wrestling. Uh, they got Tessa Blanchard, I think they just signed this week. Um, you know, the last show, they had JT Dunn and... Uh, Eddie Smooth and oh man, who's the other guy they had? Um, it, I'm drawing a blank now. That's terrible. It'll kill me if he hears this. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll be at, I'll be at ACW out in Stevens, PA, working. Uh, Tony, I'll be with Tony Graves. We'll be doing the Monster Squad gimmick. So if everybody wants to come out to that, it's going to be my first one this year after having an unfortunate elbow injury that is pretty much healed now. So I think by April fourth, I should be. Should be good to go. So I'm back, awesome. you know, lifting. So able able to lift again, which is good. Yeah, that's it. And that uh, follow me on Twitter at John Dahmer. Um, you can Facebook me, John Dahmer. <laughs> My picture will come up, so you know it's me. I don't think there's anyone out there pretending to be me, but I could be wrong. Who knows? And uh, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll come back whenever you whenever you have a chance. You want to get me on? Just let me know and we'll try and coordinate our schedule. Awesome, man. Yeah, I look forward to it. Uh, like I said, uh, I could I could go over CZW history and uh, the different things that, like, your opinions on, you know, uh, <laughs> I could go forever. So, um, yeah, definitely, man. I'll I'll definitely hit you up, and thank you for coming on, man. It's been great. Oh, thanks for having me, Jay. It was, it was fun. I actually enjoy it. It was nice. Nice getting to talk about some awesome. of the old stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it brought some memories. Yeah, you got to look at some Yeah, stuff. sure. <laughs> Reminds me to call some friends, too. (laughs) Well, (laughs) cool, man. So, yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely hit you up, and uh, have a good night, man. All right, Jay, you do the same, bro. Take care. All right. I'll see you down the road, sir. Yep. So there you go. That was John Dahmer. And, um, 
as promised, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take a break and I'm gonna review that CZW Deja Vu show, and I'm gonna try to make it as snappy as I can because I do have work in the morning, and um, you know, so uh, I'm gonna do that, take a break, get to the thing there, and uh, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. So great interview. Um, Love talking to John. He was a guy who I wanted on for a long time. Just hadn't really got around to uh, actually getting him on. Um, what I'm going to do, this will save me a little bit of time, um, I'm going to play Loki's promo that uh, he, he put on something online for um, Chris Dickinson. And uh, yeah, I'll come back on for a second after that, and then I'll play Chris Dickinson's promo, which is a good four minutes and change. So, Here's Loki's promo towards Chris Dickinson for the Jersey All-Pro Show coming up this Saturday, Crawley, New Jersey. I get a chance to do something I haven't done in a long time. I've returned to Jersey All-Pro Wrestling on March 21st in Rahway, New Jersey. Now that night, my opponent, his name is Chris Dickinson. Now Chris, I've known about you for a very long time. You're part of this young generation that will do just about anything in order to succeed even if that means cutting down a woman with a weapon. Now, Chris, I know all about this stuff. You're young, you're hungry, and you're angry. I've been there and done that. Where you're headed isn't anywhere good. I've also heard you've been begging promoters for this matchup. Demanding, please book this match. I want to test my skill against low key. Oh, Chris, as the old saying goes, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. On March 21st, I'm going to see you when that bell rings. And believe me, class is going to be in session. Now, Chris, don't misunderstand me. I'm not angry. This is actually my happy face. So there was Loki's promo, um, and, uh, you know, everybody in the world knows that regardless of what Loki had to say, um, Loki is going to bring it. When it comes down to <laughs> in the ring, Loki has never come up shy of 100% in the ring, and um, it, this shit is going down this Saturday. And to see what uh, Chris Dickinson said in response to Loki. Here's his promo. Uh, like I said, it goes about four and a half minutes, so I'm going to take this as my break, and I'll be back after this to review CZW's Deja Vu 2015 event. Check it out. I see you've taken it upon yourself to address me, and I suppose I should be impressed the fact that you decided to speak first, but I'm not. You're giving me nothing, man. You're showing me nothing, man. That little promo you cut is absolutely nothing. But before we get into that, before we get into talking about whatever it takes, why don't we go back and talk about the parallels between Chris Dickinson and Loki? It's because there's obviously a few. For years, I've been compared to you. Every jabroni in the business tell me I was nothing but a Mark ripoff of you. Why? Because I integrated martial arts and professional wrestling together in my own style? Oh, excuse me for having a legitimate background in it. I guess we should all write you royalty checks because you're the only guy in the business that could use martial arts and wrestling together. 
Yeah, okay. But you know what? I do respect you. I do. Not for that, but for the fact that you're your own man. You make your own decisions. You walk to the beat of your own drum like myself. You love this business. You protect it, and you do what you have to do to uphold your character. But we got nothing in common on Saturday night. And you want to talk about doing whatever it takes. I keep going back to that line. It's because it really, really rings a bell. You know, you seem to be so interested in the fact that I smashed a woman over the head with a chair and dumped her on her head. Well, take a good look at this face. It's because I will do anything it takes to get my point across. See, Chris Dickinson never had it as easy as Low-Key did when it came to getting the opportunities. When it came to the right people putting me on the right path, I didn't have that. You did. And I wanted that, but I don't. So you revert to doing whatever it takes, to biting, scratching, and clawing for any little bit of attention you could get to make a name for yourself. I'm not a 19-year-old kid anymore. I'm a 27-year-old man. But Jersey All Pro Wrestling back then, guys like you, you created a monster in me. And I went out, and I got bigger, and I got better, and I got tougher, and I started eating everybody up from your generation. And it's about time I got the main course, right? And you think I'm coming into Saturday night scared? You gotta be kidding me, man. Based on that little, that little promo you sent me, you're shook. I want you to go and look at yourself in the mirror and realize I am facing someone that will do whatever it takes. Man, woman, it doesn't matter. You're not low-key to me. You're another human being. That's how I treat everybody in this business, whether they like it or not. You're flesh, blood, and bone. You could die just as easily as I can. You look comfortable. You look complacent, like you don't care. Well, on Saturday, I want you to care. It's because you are facing the monster that you created. Whether you like it or not, it's deeper than you really think. I've been waiting for years to walk out of the shadow that you have casted. I am bigger than you. I am better than you. And on Saturday, I am going to look you in the eyes and you are going to realize that. I will reiterate something that you have said for years. That you have told so many men that have come before me. I mean, I wonder if you're really prepared, Loki. I wonder if you're really really set on doing what you have to do to win. It's because you obviously know I will. So I'll finish with this. All you have to do is be ready. Yeah, there you go. And and when I tell you I'm hyped for this fucking Saturday, I'm telling you I have never been excited as I am for a wrestling show. Um, 
I, I got to, once again, uh, thanks, uh, Frank, for the opportunity to, to do ringside photography uh, this Saturday. Um, I am extremely, extremely gracious for that, and um, it, it's going to be a blast, man. It, it's surreal. It really is, especially with this type of thing, you know, lined up on the card. Um, it's it's just going to be amazing. It's absolutely amazing. A week a week to the day before my 37th birthday. This is um this is uh the start of my celebration at least uh this this is awesome. This is absolutely awesome. This card is phenomenal. Um this I would imagine is going to be the main event low key Chris Dickinson. Um and I'm going to go over some of the other matches too after I review the CGW show. So uh without further ado, blood Cry, Yeah, Rich Swan and uh, Kevin Steen doing the uh, the CZW song. I know a lot of people like the uh, the Mox one with Drake and all them better, and then so do I. But um, I've used that in the past, and a couple other shows have done it too. So I just wanted to use the uh, the Kevin Steen show, Rich Swan version. So anyway, um, Deja Vu was this um, the 2015 Deja Vu event. Now, over the years, I've been very, very against them using the Deja Vu name because you know, I I was there for the original Deja Vu. Um, match started out as uh, wife beater Lobo and, you know, obviously work. Beater was really hurt. But anyway, they worked an injury where it was going to turn into Zandig Lobo. Um, unbelievable fucking match. Um, I've, I've talked this match up a bunch of times on the show, so I'm not going to review that match once again. But unbelievable match that... I don't think you can top it. As far as a no-rope barbed wire, that's still my favorite one. Uh, the amount of things that they did in that match and did outside of the ring on top of that because no-rope barbed wire matches, for the most part, don't leave the confines of the ring. Uh, you know, you get a little bit of going through the ropes hitting the outside, but then you're back within the gimmick of the no-rope barbed wire. And that Zandig Lobo just did so much. I just don't think you could top it. I still don't. Um, so anyway, I was always against the name and I had planned to go to this show, um, because I was offered to, to go to the show. So I'm always up for a night out anyway. And on top of that, um, my dudes, uh, Robbie Marino and Ruckus, who, you know, I've known since I started going to CZW and, um, you know, been good friends. And, uh, you know, them being inducted into the Hall of Fame was was a very special thing to me. I was actually um, a little let down that I wasn't going to be able to be there for that when it was going to go down at the arena because I I just I had no way to be there. Um, So, you know, the the weather delaying, you know, ruckus from getting there, which delayed the ceremony, um, sucked for them because, you know, Robbie being in Philly over there, you know, would have worked out in his favor. 
but in the same token, it turning into a Jersey thing selfishly, I, I was happy about it because I was going to be at this show. So, um, it, it more of the show more or less started out with that. Uh, well, they had a pre-show match. It was uh, Calvin Conley and Matt McIntosh, which I caught a little bit of. I spent half the match trying to figure out who Caleb Conley was because um, he changed his hair. He doesn't have the, the crazy hair gimmick. So it, it was like a guy kind of looks like Caleb Conley without the crazy hair. Sure enough, it was. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was good. Uh, the other guy I was with, uh, Jeremy, said, oh, that's Matt McIntosh, who I hadn't seen before. So, um, But, I've, you know, I've heard he's a good worker. So, like I said, I, I wasn't really locked into paying attention to it yet. I had just gotten there and um, – yeah, seemed good enough for what it was, especially dark match. Uh, Khaled Conley's generally not a dark match guy. So, um, but anyway, uh, the Hall of Fame thing, much, much, um, I should say, well, well deserved. Um, Robbie, I mean, he's been one of the best, if not the best guy on the mic in CCW's history. Um, you know, he played the, the managerial role for the majority of the time there and, you know, being the head of the blackout and, you know, the mic piece for the blackout, the guy really completely changed the game as far as what promos were going to be there and um, helped put CZW at at a more respectable level, really, because, you know, when a gimmick or an angle or a group is pushed to a certain level, and, um, you know, the different things that they would do with that gimmick completely made it its own entity. It, it made it like, what is the blackout going to do tonight? You show up and you go, okay, what are they going to do tonight? You know, you see the promo coming on, you know, as, as the screen, you know, faded in from black and you saw them standing there with Robbie, you know, okay, what is he going to say today? What is he going to say today? So there's certain characters, there's certain gimmicks that, you know they're going to bring you something new every time out. You know what I mean? And and a lot of uh, the indies lack that these days. It's more or less the show's going to be what it is. Um, hopefully you get some good matches out of it. The angles might be hit and miss, but you don't know as much where the promos are going to come from. Oh, Matt Tremont is definitely one of those guys. You know, when Matt Tremont gets on, you know, one of these vignettes or promos, I mean, he's going to bring you some real shit every time. And his promos are just amazing. And that's what Robbie's done over the years that have really stood out and um, made everything look that much more legit. Because the indies a lot of time get, you know, a bad name and put down there like they're a B-show or they're second rate. And it's guys like that, you know, that'll that'll speak and you know that, they're on the same level, if not a higher level, a lot of times a higher level than the people you are seeing on TV um, because what they're able to put out there is so believable and, um, you know, I guess incredible. Um, and then there's Ruckus. And Ruckus is a guy who I first met Ruckus when I started going to CZW in 2001. And um, it was the most amazing thing ever. Um, it, it was hilarious to me because, you know, I was I was an early indie fan. I never really knew anything about the indie stuff. And um, going to CZW, you know, Trent and Johnny put me on to CZW. And um, we came out there and we were hooked. 
February 2001, and we went for pretty much 10 years straight, well, probably 11 years straight, something like that, and um, missed maybe a handful of shows over those 11 years. Um, and uh, a couple of shows in to going to CZW, showing up to the, um, you know, to Sewell, I was a fan of Ruckus's work. Ruckus was a dude who was overweight at the same time was doing some things that smaller guys weren't capable of doing. The backhand springs into the moon salts, the star presses, the you know, the four fifties, like the just unbelievable stuff. Innovative, crazy creative, innovative style. Again, another guy you never knew what you were going to see out of him. He was always coming up with something new. So it was a guy that I was like, wow, you know, you know, this guy's got crazy fucking skill. And after one show, he walks up to us and goes, hey, I, I see you guys on the tapes. And I'm like, you see us on the tapes? What the fuck? How do how you see us on the tapes? We're the fans. We see you on the tapes. That's that's how the that's how it goes, and it's you know this guy was such a um, such a uh, you know a perfectionist, and I mean I, I think a lot of guys should take take notes from this. He would watch the tapes back. He would watch you know all the tapes back to see what the reactions were to the stuff he was doing out there. So not only was he watching his stuff to see how it came off on tape and what he liked and what he didn't like about his own match, he'd, he'd sit there and he'd watch the crowd for what did that crowd like and not like about his matches. Because you could see reactions and then you can judge, you know, what's going to sell. And, and honestly, that to me speaks to a very, very large extent on what someone's looking for. Because if you... um if you're marketable to the fans because you can see the fans' reaction instead of just doing something you've decided that the fans like and then looking at them like, what the fuck is your problem? Why aren't you popping for this? You go out of your way to watch the tape. You see what they're popping for, and now you cater to that or you you tweak things until you see the reactions that you want to see without you personally asking them, hey, clap for that because I think you should. You know what I mean? And I, I always respected that from the start. And then he just became a guy that we, we would just, we would talk to him every show. Every show would be, you know, before the show or intermission or both or, you know, afterwards. It, it was always, there was no way that, um, you know, before, during, after the shows that I wouldn't talk to Ruckus. I wouldn't talk to Trent, Johnny. Um, these guys were always, I mean, for the early CCW years, these were just, you know, uh, they, they were wrestlers, they were entertainers, but they were more or less like friends because you would go and you'd talk to them. Like those were just some dudes you knew that just happened to be blowing the roof off the joint that you showed up at, you know what I mean? So there was always a connection with me and Ruckus and, uh, you know, Robbie was a little further down the road as far as, you know, where the, uh, the connection came. So seeing these guys inducted into the hall of fame and respected the way that they, they should be was really special to me. And, um, you know, Robbie had said, yeah, you definitely get to get a shout out. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm a fan. I don't expect anything from anybody. I don't, I don't, I'm not owed anything. I'm just a fan. 
But um, sure enough, um, this is this is uh, part of Ruckus' speech right here. Check it out. You know, everybody, my man Steve, sitting out front, um, my boy J-Cat, uh, I don't know, everybody that used to come out, everybody still comes out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So out of two people, specifically fans, two specific fans that he mentioned on one of them. I, I mean, that's that's amazing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't deserve that type of shit. I'm just a fan. You know what I mean? This is this dude's moment, and I got, you know, I got put in there. So that's um, that's very humbling, and um, I appreciate the shit out of that, man. I, I, I can't say enough about Ruckus as far as what I, you know, how I respect that dude as a, as a worker overall. So, um, very, very happy for those dudes. They deserve it. Um, so then going into the show, uh, Greg Excellent with Chris Rivera up against Alexander James with the the Black Shield. Um, uh, Greg wins the uh, the Junior Heavyweight Championship. I hope they do something with this motherfucking belt. Something creative, make it credible again. Whether Greg makes it his own thing and defends it its own way, whatever. Do something where along the lines, you know, uh, along the way, whether it's now, whether it's a year from now, it works its way back into someone's hands and becomes a true junior title again. Cut the bullshit, dude. It has too much history. It meant too much to too many people. There were big fucking deals um, in CZW's history. And just just get it back fucking rolling again. You know, I, I just don't see a purpose of being a, a joke or a prop. Um, I, it's saying I got 90 seconds. I'm pretty sure I got 90 seconds here on a live feed, and I think then I go into the archive mode which it gives me another hour, which I'm not going another hour. But um, if by any chance this cuts off and I have to do the rest of the show over again, the uh, the rest of the CZW card again, I'll be pretty um, pretty upset. But um, either way, uh, anyone listening live, just check the, uh, check the archive, and you should be able to get the rest of my rambling about the CZW show. Going on next, Lucky 13 up against Connor Claxton in the Deathmatch Trial Series. Um, this is uh, Connor Claxton's first uh, big on on show match. I believe he had a match out in um, in Dayton. I believe that's the Ohio town they wrestling. Um, Connor Claxton made himself a star that night. Um, him and Lucky had a great match, thumbtacks and everything else. And uh, guy had the crimson mask, and overall just worked a crazy, crazy match. And uh yeah, he's he's something special. I really think uh that guy's one of the future faces of C Z W. Um you know, C Z W has a lot of uh its identity based through their deathmatch style. Obviously Danny Havoc's a huge face of the company. Um I think Connor Claxton's gonna be one of those guys over the years. Hopefully he keeps himself safe and he's able to keep uh, you know, himself going into business for a long time. So, um that's that's uh that's that match. I look forward to seeing him up against I believe Devin next month in a scaffold match. Um then you got uh let me see. 
Okay, yeah, it's it's still recording as far as it tells me. Cool, cool. Um, then you had uh, G's coming out to address the combat zone. There was no uh, no uh, challenger for the world title, and um, he started cutting a promo about crackers and you know pulling the back, and I you know he was shooting Ellen Dickinson type thing, you know, shoot promo on Dickinson, work shoot whatever you want to call that shit. Um. And then uh, it was addressed by Matt Tremont coming out saying that he's he's the last salty cracker in the box, and um, yeah, cutting a you know cutting a Matt Tremont style promo man, and two of them face off in the ring, and setting up a future match of Matt Tremont versus G's for the world title, and that shit is absolute money. I mean, um, two guys that can cut promos. Um, they need to keep this heat going as far as the promos and, um, you know, the build to it. They need to keep that going because those two guys are extremely capable of making this shit look awesome. And, um, yeah, looking forward to it. I mean, that's just, uh, that's just a good look right there. So, um, there's that, uh, Gulak versus Pepper Parks. I kind of checked out on this, um, I'm not a Pepper Parks fan. I'm just not. Um, and Gulak has had somewhat of like a squash guy gimmick. Like he's kind of squashing dudes. And uh, for this, for some reason, it just didn't come together for me, at least to just draw my attention in. I mean, it might have been fine. But um, Pepper Parks, he, even though I'm not a huge fan, he's come around quite a bit on me where um, – you know, I could I could tolerate his matches, and I mean, he's he's always been a good wrestler. I, I've you know never doubted his ability, but for some reason, he's never really just connected with me as far as uh, keeping my interest in the matches and that type of thing. Um, so to me, it was kind of weird because now I'm kind of expecting him to see in some kind of competitive matches, and because um, even uh, I think. I think they worked Ohio's for Killers, him and uh, Papadon, who I'm also not a fan of. And I was actually pretty good. I'm pretty sure that's who they worked. And I was actually pretty good. And then um, Gulak being on kind of like the, you know, buzzsaw type gimmick running through people, it just kind of mismatched to me because I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. Like I said, it, just, it was kind of lost on my eyes, but uh, other people might have enjoyed it highly, so... What can I say? Um, Bucks Belmar versus uh, Bill Carr. Bill Carr is fucking amazing. The dude is uh, just tremendously talented. Um, Dan Barry, I think, is um, on vacation. Or I don't know where he's at because I, I just saw something that he's in, like, fucking France. So, um, yeah, there's that. Um, so, Bill Carr is, you know, working solo over there for now. Uh, Bucks Belmar, man, this dude is just so disgusting it's ridiculous his uh commitment to his gimmick has it really really needs to be admired because and i mean i've even seen people completely shit on him because of what he did but um it's fucking dangerous and uh that that's a tremendous commitment to your gimmick man it would not be me fuck that shit he won when um and after his his normal display of licking the bottom of dude's boots and and all that crazy gross shit. Um, he had like 10, 10, 12 fans spit in his hand. 
and uh, came back in the ring and pretty much drank the spit out of his hand, which is rough to even say. And, um, you know, this, this made Bill Carr throw up, and, you know, while he was sick, Bucks got the roll-up on him. So, I mean, I'll say that it was awesome. Not because I want to see motherfuckers drink people's spit because it was fucking disgusting, but his commitment to his gimmick to me is top notch. And I said when I first saw him at the uh, the best of the best last year that this fucking guy is is something special because he's um he is so committed to his gimmick. He can wrestle his ass off, but he also has such an over the top gimmick that um you know he he does it the right way, and uh, that's. That's a fucking rough gimmick to do the right way, man. He's paying a fucking uh, pretty steep price to get himself over. Fuck, man. Um, Joe Gacy versus Johnny Silver. I thought this was really good. Um, Good stuff out of these two. I'm a big fan of both of these guys. And uh, Joe Gacy retained his title against Silver. Um, Speedball Mike Bailey versus the returning David Starr. Um... You know, to me, this was just kind of weird, at least from the get-go, because David Starr comes out, and, you know, he starts getting the welcome back chance and shit, and the guy's been gone for three months, you know? Nothing against David Starr. I like the dude. I'm a fan. But um, someone's gone for three months. There's a welcome back chant. Like, dude, really? I mean... I mean, you don't even get welcome back chance when Robbie Marino hits the fucking ring for the... uh, you know, the induction. I mean, I I don't know, man. Like, uh, I'd have to go back. I think, I think Danny Havoc got welcome back chance when he came back last month. But, um, I'm saying like, these people have been gone for a year, for, uh, six months for all this time. And you don't hear that shit. And then it's like, you've been gone for three months. If that, because I think you left, like just before Cage of Death or something, and it's only you know March, but so you got the, the welcome back, welcome back, and uh, he's got an old promo about um, you know he's better than everybody in the back. So um, Bailey comes out. This is a good match. Um, I I thought when it had its moment where it uh it it had its most momentum going, I think it got killed. Uh, towards the end, you know, the momentum had picked up quite a bit. Uh, Bailey hit two two hard kicks, went for the third kick, and David Starr countered it into a headlock that it didn't look like he grabbed real crisp. He ended up grabbing a headlock and then hit him with a punch. And for some reason, it didn't come off like the slow-down heel heat. It, it just it it slowed down. It just it slowed down the end of that match. Um I I don't know. I think you know in a, in classic fashion, at least as far as you know indie matches go, when that was picking its momentum up and uh, he hit those two kicks, if if he was going to be countered into something, it would have been nice to you know counter it into like a backdrop or or something you know with impact to show that you were battling back. The the slowly locked in headache, uh, headache uh, headlock, which um. Like I said, it wasn't like grab fucking, you know, uh, cinched tight and fucking taunted at the fans, which is, 
you know, classic David Starr, but it, it didn't go that way. It just, it it almost looked like that wasn't what they were going for, and it, you know, like improvised. So I don't know. Like I said, the match, it was fine. I'm I'm kind of nitpicking. I'm not saying that, you know, the match was shit because of that, but I think it could have been a little bit better if the momentum had kept uh, kept up where it was headed. But, um, yeah, good good stuff, and it's good to see David Starr back. I said, welcome back. I think it's a little fucking much for a three-month absence because, uh, you know, I mean, you miss one show, that's one month. That's all he actually missed. I mean, it's, you know, uh, at this point, if Vip Busa comes back, I mean, you welcome back him. You welcome back um, who else has been gone for two, three months. Um, every fucking button, goddamn it. Um, so, anyway. Um, Eric Corvus versus Sozio. This is bullshit, man. Eric Corvus doesn't belong on the fucking card, let alone the top half of the card. Uh, I I haven't liked this guy since he was Corvus here in in um, in, in uh, Jersey All Pro in like 2005 or 2004, whatever the fuck it was. Uh, never been a fan of the dude. I don't think he's good in the ring. Um, any bit of maybe decent he used to be, he's added. A suspenders and a gut to that now. So, uh, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan at all. Um, Sozio did all right for what it was, but um, Nico Sozio, he's added more to his name. And um, the the front was a joke when they had Sozio and fucking uh, Bit Music on it. Now they don't have Bit Music and they don't have Sozio, and I'm supposed to take this group seriously. And, um, have them on the top half of the card is it's absolutely ridiculous and uncalled for really it, it just ship belongs on a dojo war show and uh i just i can't imagine why this shit would be put on this card like that um ohio's for killers defended the cdw tag titles against nation of intoxication which was an awesome fucking match didn't like the finish with the roll-up uh kind of came out of nowhere but they're going to have a rematch, I think, but uh, maybe they're switching it up because I think Devin's supposed to fight uh, Connor Claxton in the next show in a scaffold match, but it was Devin and Havoc that had the match with uh, OI4K, so maybe they'll switch it up and it'll be lucky. Yeah, whatever. But uh, this was a really good match. I liked it a lot. Um, I, I definitely want to see more of these teams uh, squaring off because it, it was really good shit. Um Ruckus was announced for best of the best, which is great. And then uh, the main event, uh, Tremont versus Stockade in an Europe Bar Wire match. I I don't like Stockade. I've said it time and time again. I do not think he's good. Um, I think he's too fat, um, at least for my taste. Call me vain. Call me whatever you want to call me. Dickhead, juice bag, whatever you want. I don't care. Um, too fat for my taste. Um, his skin comes out of every every orifice of his his clothing. Uh, he kept the uh, the flannel vest on, so that kept his titties and his armholes. But um, I can't I can't stomach that dude. And you know, there's a certain size you get to that it really limits your mobility, and I just don't think you you can be as as effective as an athlete. I mean, it just, it has to, it's, it's only natural for it to affect your mobility and your athleticism when, when you 
you weigh that type of thing, which is funny because they announced him at 285, which is the most ridiculous fucking thing I ever heard. I spent a quarter of the match talking about the 285. But um, Matt Tremont absolutely killed himself in this match. Absolutely killed himself. Um, You know, and, and I feel bad because I think, Number one, I think, unless it's done to prove people like me wrong, I don't think that there's any way in hell this stockade will be booked again, and rightfully so. I think he was only brought in to be Tremont's dance partner in this Noah Barbed Wire match. Um, You know, we were talking while this match is going on, and the fact is, is who else could they really get to work Tremont in this Noah Barbed Wire? Um, You get some guys out west, but what do you got to pay them to come in trans-wise? What do you, you know, I mean, you're not going to fly a guy in. Um, Locally, how many guys are there? I mean, of course, you got the NOI guys, but those guys are faces. Tremont's a face. You need a guy to come in, be the opposition for Tremont, to a no-rope barbed wire within two months' time, and who else is there? You know, for the price, for the... um, convenience, I guess you'd say. Um, I, I think Stockade just fit the bill as someone who was an easy book, probably didn't cost him a ton of money, and Tremont was able to go out there, kill himself, and I don't I don't think he needed that, but I mean, if that's what Tremont wanted to do, I mean, it only makes him stronger and stronger as a character and a, you know, super, super overfaced in CCW, but again, I don't think he needed that to be as over as he is. Um, either way, I mean, I appreciate it, and Matt Tremont's a fucking animal, but um, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a fan of Stockade. I don't think um, I don't think it's a good look any time that halfway through the match or three-quarters of the way through the match, because it was at least that, when the, chan- when the fans are chanting, take a bump at one of the two guys in the Nora Barbwire match, I-, I don't think that that's a good sign. I think that's a very, very bad sign. Um, I also don't think it's a good look when um, a guy who is generally you're expecting the guy to be blown up in the match because he weighs like probably 380 if they said 280. Um, The guy before Tremont ever came out, he's laying down in the ring. Um, Tremont comes out. Now he's sitting in the ring. You don't like doing a lot of sitting and laying down during uh, down periods in a match as a big giant fat guy does not make you look good. I mean, if you want to make it look like you're nonchalant and you really don't care and that type of thing, uh, I just don't think your weight and laying down adds up to, hey, look how tough he is. It's just like, look how fucking lazy he is. He's laying down during fucking match ring entrance. And, then um, I mean, you could, you could uh, you know, pitch it as, oh, yeah, he's a tough guy. Look, he doesn't even care. But in the same token, I just, I think it looks like garbage. Um, and then, you know, he, he's just kind of fucking kneeled down in the corner through the whole ring entrances, which a lot of guys do him, but again, He's laid down. He sat down. Now he's on one knee. I mean, this dude is doing everything to keep off his actual feet that he possibly can. Um, 
there is a point during the match where he's got to move cinder blocks, and the dude is the dude looked definitely out of breath moving like six cinder blocks. Um, it, it was rough. And um, Tremont does the thing, goes over, um, and you know what sucks too is Stocke takes the finish. Stocke takes the finish. Tremont's still down from just the you know the aftermath of every the, the match. Tremont's still down. Stockade leaves and is out like up the ramp and out. And I know because they were working, they worked a gauge teaser where they cut the mu- they cut the lights, played gauges music, and this and that. Um, the Tremont's music or whatever music closed the show, maybe the CGW music. Um, hadn't even finished playing yet, and Stockade was supposed to have just taken a finish on fucking Cinder Blocks and lost an over a barbed wire match. And here's Stockade walking out through the crowd over to the gimmick tables before, like, before the CZW song finishes playing, he's walking over to the gimmick tables. And it, to me, it just looks like shit. To at least sell, and and that's that's the end of your night as far as the fans know. You know what I mean? You just lost a Nova barbed wire match. You just took a finish on cinder blocks. You you should not be seen by fans again. I I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but I I think the guy should have stayed in the back, and that's it. I, I don't think people were clamoring for autographs following that match that they were screaming for you to take a bump. Um, oh, and I hate the fucking eyeliner. I hate the fucking eyeliner. I, it, it looks completely ridiculous. Completely fucking ridiculous. A 385-pound guy with fucking eyeliner on looks absolutely absurd. So, um, again, maybe all of this is me. I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's not, but um, I'm not a fan. So, um, yeah, that's that. He said, uh, best of the best is next up, which is, uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be fucking awesome. Uh, doing the Nick Gage teasers, from what I hear, he's out of the, out of the joint, I, I, I hear on Friday. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm right about that. Just what I've heard. Um, so that's that. Um, Jersey All-Pro this weekend, uh, you're definitely going to want to check this shit out. You have, um... Let me see. Jesus. Um, Chris Hero and Teddy Hart versus MVP and Samoa Joe. And, um, you know, Teddy Hart and Samoa Joe in the same ring, I mean, that that alone is fucking crazy. Um, Joe obviously has a handful of bookings left, and then he's going to be uh, headed off to the, uh, the E or the uh, NXT or whatever you want to call it. But, um man, uh, that's going to be awesome. Uh, you got um, Azriel versus Black G's in, uh, I believe, first time ever one-on-one match. They've been in the ring before, but now one-on-one. And um, for the light heavyweight title that G's will be defending for the first time at this show, you have uh, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian the addiction, I think they go by, uh, versus um, the Bravado Brothers. There's another big matchup. You got the Viking War Party 
in a rematch against the Hooligans and the Necro Butcher in a, I believe it's a Falls Count Anywhere, um, you know, brawl situation. Shit's going to be crazy. Um, you also have, um, I believe it's going to be Bandito, um, Joey Janela, and Steve Scott, and I believe Charlie Haas is involved in that match somehow. Um, crazy, crazy shit. Um, that That's going to be something else. And uh, also, uh, I think it's a Beyond Showcase match with J.P. Dunn and Silver Ant. So, uh, lots to look forward to. Like I said, if you near me the first time, Loki versus Chris Dickinson. And uh, that shit is going to be absolutely amazing. Um, go check that shit out. Rawway, New Jersey. Um, train station's very close. Uh, you can get your public transportation there. Um, you can, uh, you know, nice... Nice, uh, nice-sized arena there, the, the gym. So you can get your tickets at the door. We bring side and all of that sold out, but uh, you know, plenty of room in the bleachers and everything. Pack that joint last time. Let's pack that shit again. Uh, I look forward to uh, to being there, man. It, it is going to be so fucking exciting, and um, don't miss it. You know, uh, I'm gonna next week. I will definitely have that to review. I'll see what, you know, goes on as far as uh, another guest possibly next week. Um, definitely going to work on it and uh, see what goes on. Uh, let me figure out. And I got another another segment I'm working on for next week, too. So, uh, you know, I'll have to see what that's all about next week. Uh, just just more fun uh, random shenanigans out of me. Uh, let me see. What the fuck? I have the hardest time finding my, um, there it is, my outro. And I always got to, like, you know, make it noticed how, how shitty, uh, shitty I am at finding my outro. I could just not say anything, and you think I'm just, uh, whatever. So, um, like I said, uh, again, I'd like to thank John Dahmer for coming on. Fucking great interview. Loved it. Um, He's just a great talker, so, you know, that's that's what makes things uh, work really well. You get a guest that could just go on like him, uh, knows what he's talking about, well-informed. Um, that guy, definitely have him back on in the future. Uh, check out Wrestling Soup tomorrow night. Check out We Want Blood, I think, over the weekend. And check out, um, I got to meet those guys in person, too, at the uh, CZW show. Good dudes. Um Check out uh, the sports tent has not been on, and uh, some motherfucker stole Nick's car, man. Uh, he got shit back, but uh, keep your head up, Nick, man. You the dude. Um, you know, out in Chicago, I mean, I guess that type of shit happens. But um, fuck, man. Uh, check out Andrew over there at the uh, Stern Nation. He does uh, false count radio and everything else. Uh, check out everything he's getting into on Facebook. I think that's all I got. I'll um, I gotta finish this. Try to stop staring at this beautiful TV tonight. And um, check you motherfuckers out next week. Peace. I don't fuck with you. Yeah. Woo! I'm just cold cut today. 
Just 